Audio Jungle. Andrew is on assignment tonight. They are off to Beijing in just days, but some Canadian athletes may not even be allowed into China. They're being extra cautious. What CBC has learned about the strict COVID testing policy that could dash some Olympic hopes. The big dig. I never, never seen this much uh... Delays. The messy cleanup, closing schools, cutting transit. And no, it's not over yet. Why major American airlines say 5G technology could ground planes. Could Omicron have been lurking under the radar for months in animals? The virus starts spreading in those animals and then potentially can pop back into people. The famed virologist here in Canada working to figure out where Omicron came from and what's next. This is The National. As Canadian athletes gear up to go for the gold in Beijing in just over two weeks tonight, new questions about what they will face when they get there. China is not messing around with COVID-19. Safety protocols are strict and sweeping and being China, not up for debate. Tonight, we look at the serious concerns around two of those measures, China's mandatory Olympic app and its threats to online privacy and its unforgiving COVID-19 testing standards. CBC has learned the detection level is so high, it could prevent some Canadian athletes from competing even those previously cleared of the virus. Ellen Morrow has that story tonight. The final touches for Beijing 2022. Olympic rings on the ice as China puts a ring around the games. To keep COVID out, CBC has learned China will use extra sensitive PCR testing, more sensitive than what's commonly used in Canada and by major sports leagues. Some experts say it's too sensitive. You're going to pick up a lot of people that are probably not infectious. PCR tests come down to the so-called CT or cycle threshold value. Most places in Canada use a CT value of 35. But for the Olympics, PCR tests will have a CT value of 40, making them more able to pick up remnants of the virus. The concern is athletes who recovered from COVID weeks, even months prior, may still test positive when they arrive and be unable to compete. People that have recovered from COVID-19, they're all going to identify as positive or some of them will identify as positive in a foreign country going through isolation protocols. But are they transmissible? The answer is no. Yeah, Cassie! A positive COVID test was already the fear hanging over Canada's athletes desperate to perform. My plan for the next few weeks is just to stick to being at home and being at the ring. Right now, the plan that we have is to really get us the best chance of going over to Beijing and having a negative COVID test. So that's priority number one, because without that test, we, we can't even compete. China has been fierce in its fight against Omicron, locking down entire cities and mass testing tens of millions of residents. A test for the country itself will be to keep the Olympics safe. China has always been very careful and I mean they've 
very dense populations. That and protecting its reputation may be behind the intense testing regimen for the Games, says uh, this virologist. Is, I think they want to keep an image of making sure that the Olympic are being taken are being uh, done in a safe environment. Now athletes wait and hope the measure doesn't crush their Olympic dreams. Okay, so Alan, what are you hearing from the Canadian Olympic Committee about this? Well, Adrienne, the COC is trying to calm nerves over this, as you can imagine. It put out a statement today saying that testing uh, in Beijing is meant to catch cases early and prevent transmission. It is not meant to unfairly exclude recovered athletes. It also says and pointed out there will be a panel of international medical experts at the game that will be considering positive cases, including these positives that might just be lingering false positives from old infections. But if you are an athlete who has recovered from a recent case, this is really the last thing you want hanging over you in your last few weeks of training. All right, Ellen Morrow in Toronto. Thank you, Ellen. So it's not just that strict testing. Everyone in the Olympic bubble in Beijing has to use a special app to keep Chinese health officials up to date on their COVID status. But as Katie Nicholson tells us, some security experts have already found a serious flaw. In just a few weeks, thousands will be logging on to Wi-Fi at Olympic venues like this. And when they do, they'll be using this app, My 2022. Many already are. The Beijing Organizing Committee requires participants to use it to upload daily COVID tests before the games begin. But cybersecurity think tank Citizen Lab says there's a security risk. Someone using this app can actually connect to... Um, uh, like someone inter intercepting the traffic um, so they, they can read the traffic, um, they, can, they can modify it. When an app connects to a server, it usually first verifies the server's authenticity so you don't accidentally connect to a fake server. Citizen Lab found this app doesn't follow that verification step, which means data can be intercepted by a malicious third party. You're inputting a lot of sensitive personal information, like your passport number. As bugs go, cyber experts say it's an easy one to fix. It's strange that that's not that, that's, uh, an issue on this app. And maybe the Chinese uh, authorities or the organization that's providing the app are working uh, to solve that. This app also features a currently dormant directory of blacklisted, politically sensitive words connected to topics like Tibet, the Uyghurs and Chinese leadership, which could be used to censor messages. It is uh, not uncommon for um, Chinese apps or a Chinese website uh, to have this list there when there are certain sensitive words popping up, uh, it will be flagged. It hasn't addressed the Citizen Lab report, but the Beijing Organizing Committee told Chinese state media the app passed review by Google, Apple and Samsung. As for Team Canada, they're leaving personal devices at home, but even on temporary phones, they will still have to use the app. Katie Nicholson, CBC News, Toronto. For Canada's pandemic, with testing overwhelmed, COVID hospitalizations are one of the best indicators we have for how fast the virus is spreading. And that surge has reached another milestone. More than 10,000 patients hospitalized with the virus across Canada. 
Now, since December 26, the march to 10,000 has been relentless, up about 90%, so nearly doubling in the first week and again the following week. Since then, hospitalizations are still rising, but at a slower rate, up less than 60%. So has it peaked? Too early to say when that will happen, but it will happen eventually, thanks to a number of factors, including restrictions. PEI has until recently been a COVID success story, hoping to avoid another lockdown. But as Kayla Hounslow explains, the island is now out of options. As of midnight, this business will be flipping this sign around. All restaurants on Prince Edward Island forced to close to in-person dining. I'm hoping the numbers will go down. I've noticed that they keep climbing and today it was really high. In fact, the 407 cases reported on Tuesday are a new record. And until mid-December, PEI had never had a one-day total greater than 10. Often, the province reported zero new cases, and it recorded its first two deaths on Friday. We had done extremely well, and we never had the extent of COVID that other jurisdictions have had, and we had never had to deal with the reality of, of what COVID can do. But today, an admission that even this small island province, which has always acted quickly to keep COVID out, cannot stop Omicron. We are experiencing trends that are very concerning. With hospitalizations, ICU admissions, and the test positivity rate all up, PEI is implementing tough new restrictions. Personal gatherings are limited to a single household only. However, up to two support people are allowed. Gyms, indoor recreation and schools will all be closed for two weeks. I had hoped that we would never be in a situation where we would have to implement even further restrictions. Eight people have been hospitalized with COVID-19. Four of them are in the ICU. That may not seem like a high number, but that's four of 20 ICU beds on the island, as long as there are enough staff to cover them. The Omicron has brought with it a, a fog that has made that finish line hard to find. Uh, and we need to do whatever we can do to slow it down until that fog lifts. The Premier is asking for patience. Just going to take it day by day. Day by day, with PEI now in a similar position as everyone else. Kayla Hounsel, CBC News, Halifax. In British Columbia, officials have extended restrictions. Organized indoor gatherings such as weddings and funerals will remain banned. Bars and nightclubs closed until at least February 16th. There is one exception. Gyms will be allowed to reopen this Thursday under strict capacity limits. Provinces and territories are rolling out booster shots. Not everyone seems to be rushing out to get them, though. So far, nearly 30 million Canadians have received two doses of a vaccine. Only about 12.6 million have gotten their third dose. Many just aren't eligible yet, but some are choosing to hold off. Renee Filipponi explains why. Jordan Power wants to make it clear he is not an anti-vaxxer. I decided to get my first two vaccines because... Um, I didn't want to put my grandparents at risk or uh, one of my best friends who's um, battling brain cancer right now. But he's holding back on getting the booster, believing as a young, healthy person, his risk of serious illness is low. But I'm a definitely a conscious person when it comes to really anything that I put into my body, um, especially something 
that I may not consider like natural right off the bat. Um, but at the end of the day, like I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor. And he's not alone. Despite the urgency of many to get boosters, more than 500,000 people in BC have received an invite for a third shot and have not responded. It's an issue across the country, and it's not just people questioning vaccines, says this scientist who educates people about them. A lot of people are starting to feel, again, the, the fatigue and exhaustion of just dealing with COVID, and for that reason, wanting to know why now they need to go get a third dose. Health officials urge people to get the booster to help prevent transmission and serious illness. It's not just about getting through this way. It's uh, that booster dose we now think is going to give us protection for whatever comes next in this pandemic. For those on board, there are mixed feelings about booster holdouts. Well, I can understand why they feel that way, but I have no regrets at all that we went and got our third dose, just feel a little bit more protected. To be polite, I wish I'd just go and get them. It's something Jordan Powers admits he will likely do. It's really just a matter of waiting and kind of seeing how things play out and Obviously, if uh, the government starts forcing people to take it, I don't really have much of a choice. And as the pandemic carries on, officials hope more people will see the benefit of the booster. Renee Filipponi, CBC News, Vancouver. WestJet is once again reducing flights due to Omicron. The company says it will cancel 20% of its flights through February. It blames a pandemic staffing crunch fueled by the new variant and the impact of what it calls government barriers to international travel. WestJet had already cancelled 15% of its flights this month. A staffing shortage is also why most flights at St. John's Airport were cancelled tonight, but not because of COVID. Several fire hall employees are on sick leave over what they call a toxic workplace. The union says its members have been harassed and bullied for flagging health and safety concerns. A CBC News investigation is digging into the history of a man named Robert Roche, known as the liquidator for buying, then shuttering, struggling businesses. He has been convicted of fraud and has racked up decades of debt. Now, after getting substantial government supports during the pandemic, more than a dozen former employees say he simply stopped paying them. Jonathan Gatehouse has the story. We feel stolen from... For Haley O'Brien, a job at PPE supply company Antiseptic Pro seemed like a good get during a pandemic. But soon she found herself among a group of 14 ex-employees, filing claims with Ontario's Labour Ministry for missing paychecks. It's wage theft. We want to know where this money's going. Kevin Lee was hired by Antiseptic Pro owner Rob Roche last summer to design a website. After asking about the month of pay he was owed, he was fired on the spot. Well, it feels really disgusting. Documents obtained by CBC News show companies owned by Roche received at least $85,000 in government subsidies, from provincial and federal pandemic assistance to training grants for new hires, even as unpaid wage claims piled up against him. We tried to ask Roche about the complaints, but for weeks he deflected our interview requests. Yeah, I will get back to you shortly, okay? even when we paid him a visit at his Toronto office. Hey, Mr. Raj. But that attempt did prompt him to send this video statement a day later, flanked by employees saying he's working on a deal with the province to repay the wages and that he's seeking a federal payroll audit. With reference to the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, we have asked the Canada Revenue Agency to conduct a trust 
account audit for the past two years to prove our transparency. Roche declined to provide documents to back up those claims. In a statement, Ontario's Ministry of Labour says investigations are ongoing, but confirmed it has issued 12 orders to pay so far. Court files show a pattern of unpaid wages and debts going back almost 30 years, and claims from former employees across Canada, including Manitoba, where Roche bought and shuttered Stylerite, a discount department store chain in 1995, throwing 400 people out of work. Records also reveal Roche has four separate fraud convictions, the last in 2001 netting him a year in jail. After a series of failed businesses in Europe, Antiseptic Pro is just the latest Canadian venture for Roche, following investments in everything from vocal coaching to Viagra sales, leaving his former employees to wonder how the liquidator can keep starting new companies without paying his old staff. Jonathan Gatehouse, CBC News, Toronto. If snow was yesterday's theme in much of Ontario and Quebec, shovels are today and plows and patience. Obviously, a huge cleanup effort is underway after a winter storm hit the region yesterday, shutting highways, clogging streets and closing schools. And as Karen Paul shows us, it will take time to work through. The day after the big dig, this tow truck driver has spent the last two days hauling out cars, semis, even ambulances. I've been doing this for more than 10 years now, but I never, never seen this much uh, delays. Toronto and the surrounding area got up to 55 centimeters of snow. Schools were closed for a second day. People asked to stay home. Work is ongoing 24 hours a day until the job is done. With buses and streetcars running late, if at all, this man says it's easier to get around on his bike. I don't think they're shoveling very well downtown because people are not, you know, coming to work downtown that much. They're moving my car. Firefighters rescued this doctor after she abandoned her car in the height of the storm. She got towed and ticketed nearly $400. It's not the same as someone parking illegally on the street and their car got towed. I was advised by those firefighters to leave the car because it wouldn't have been safe for me to wait hours in the car, freezing, you know, and uh, I, I had to get to work to um, see my patients. Near Ottawa, which got nearly half a meter of snow, a 33-year-old tow truck driver died while helping a stuck motorist. He was hit by a snowplow. Montreal only got 25 centimeters, but it's still a mess. I really don't know how I'm going to get out, this man says. Quite windy here. But there are some snow benefits. If kids still have time, they can uh, involve themselves uh, in the uh, snowman contest. There is one big question, what to do with all this snow? Some hard hit parts of Ontario are bracing for even more. Karen Pauls, CBC News, Toronto. We are getting a better sense tonight of the devastation from that volcanic eruption near the Pacific island nation of Tonga. So on your left, what it looked like before Saturday's eruption and after on your right, that difference in color is the thick layer of ash that is sitting on top of buildings, trees and runways. That is making relief efforts and communications difficult. At least three people were killed and all homes on one of Tonga's islands 
have been destroyed. But there is help on the way from Australia, New Zealand and the United Nations. Prime Minister Trudeau spoke with his cabinet tonight about developments in Ukraine, condemning the Russian military buildup on the border and urging a peaceful solution. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken goes tomorrow to Kyiv, where Canada's foreign affairs minister is tonight. Chris Brown shows us what's at stake. In what is shaping up as a pivotal week for diplomacy, Canada's Melanie Jolie met Canadian soldiers on a training mission in Ukraine. As that country stares down the threat from Russia on its borders. When a friend is going through difficult times, well, as a friend, we're there. Other friendly nations, such as the United States and Britain, have sent defensive weapons too, such as these Javelin anti-tank missiles. Jolie says Canada has been asked for similar help. We know that it is important uh, to play our part in the context and therefore we're looking at options and we'll take a decision in a timely manner. Russia has now moved much of its army from as far away as Siberia to the border with Ukraine and even into neighboring Belarus. It's demanded NATO remove U.S. troops from Eastern Europe and never admit former Soviet states such as Ukraine. So the diplomatic pace has intensified. Germany, which buys vast amounts of natural gas from Russia, sent its new foreign minister to Moscow with a warning. Germany is ready to pay a high economic price to defend fundamental values, said Annalena Baerbock. A bipartisan delegation of U.S. senators visited Ukraine Monday and the U.S. Secretary of State will visit Wednesday. The goal now, says this former British national security advisor, is to show that there are no cracks in the Western alliance and solidarity with Ukraine. I think there's a real effort going on to, to bolster and shore up the uh, Ukraine government. They've had a lot of erosion over the last couple of years and of course that's precisely what the Russians are trying to do. Senior British and American officials warn the confrontation with Russia has reached a very dangerous point that some kind of an attack on Ukraine could come at any moment, but that doesn't mean diplomacy is pointless. Chris Brown, CBC News, London. There are worries in the United States that much-anticipated 5G networks could disrupt air travel. Should an erroneous signal or, or something develop, it affects the, the aircraft systems. Coming up, why airlines are pushing back against the 5G rollout and winning. Plus. Shut up, Angie. We are so sick of your negative narrative. A virologist faces vitriol as she investigates the origins of Omicron. The virus starts spreading in those animals and then potentially can pop back into people. And BC's highways are in such bad shape, truckers fear for their lives. It's not only that we are scared, it's our families that they are scared too. We are back into. Welcome back. 5G has been a kind of future tech buzzword for so long, it's easy to forget that 5G radio towers are already being rigged up everywhere, including near airports. Well, that has led to a warning from the U.S. aviation regulator. For certain planes, airports with 5G could be no-fly zones. As Susanna De Silva explains, the concern is they may not be safe. 
grounded planes, paralyzed economy. The warning from U.S. airlines if 5G network towers came online, potentially interfering with the technology used to land planes. The 5G network is impinging or, or is starting to squeeze that range of reliability of the radar altimeter. And should an erroneous signal or, or something develop, it affects the, the aircraft systems, such as uh, the automatic landing. 50. Experts say that could result in aborted landings and diversions. 5G towers all over the U.S. were supposed to be live tomorrow, but those near 50 airports are on pause after a last-minute deal. So everyone's looking at the agency, the FAA, and thinking, why did you wait this long? I think really what happened is we got to the on the verge of deployment, and it probably dawned on a lot of people that once deployed, it's sort of a point of no return. In a statement today, President Biden thanked the telecom companies for the agreement that allows 90% of towers to operate, saying his team will continue to talk to airlines to, quote, chart a path forward for 5G deployment and aviation to safely coexist, adding they will continue to do so until we close the remaining gap and reach a permanent workable solution around these key airports. Despite the agreement, U.S. carrier AT&T expressed its impatience. We are frustrated by the FAA's inability to do what nearly 40 countries have done, which is to safely deploy 5G technology without disrupting aviation services, urging it to do so in a timely manner. Countries in Europe require lower power towers on frequencies that won't interfere with airplanes. In November, Transport Canada announced it would require 5G exclusion zones around the country's major airports as the issue continues to be studied. Susanna De Silva, CBC News, Vancouver. Millions of American families have lost a financial lifeline. Their monthly child tax credit ran out or has been drastically reduced after a senator for West Virginia said he wouldn't support legislation extending it. Katie Simpson went there to see the impact. Mm -hmm. Just go in. Walk away. In these sweet so moments with her son, Kristen Olson finds a brief reprieve by. from her anxieties. Think, <laughs> She's one of the millions of American parents who'd come to rely on the child tax credit. Monthly deposits of up to $300. It's not just that it helped make my ends meet, it's that it gave me peace of mind that my ends were going to meet. And then to yank it away, it just seems like a cruel joke. It what just, makes this just, even more difficult for Olson is the like role said, her elected representative played in allowing the, the program to expire. The child tax credit would have continued if the U.S. Senate had passed the president's massive social spending plan called Build Back Better. Joe Biden needed the support of all 50 Democrats, but there is just one holdout. Joe Manchin of West Virginia. I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. Manchin says the legislation would make inflation worse and costs too much money. This despite evidence showing residents in his home state, one of the poorest in the country, need financial assistance. 93% of kids in our state qualify for this benefit, uh, which kind of shows how, how widespread it is and how important it is here. Manchin's decision may be influenced by another factor, 
Donald Trump won West Virginia by nearly 40 points in the last election, meaning he's finding support in derailing Joe Biden's agenda. Well, I think he finally got a pair of cojones and did something right. Voters here aren't shy about their feelings. Overall, I'd say uh, he's done pretty well. He's tried to be his own man. I get emotional just thinking about it. Olson remains frustrated so even though she him. just qualified for a state grant that will help her with living costs until April. It doesn't solve her problems in the long run and she fears no one cares. I hate to say that I just feel like it doesn't even matter what I would say to Joe Manchin about it because he obviously does not give two about it or about us or about what's best for us or about what's best for our children. Yes. Olson worries she'll lose her apartment when the grant runs out, but she'll figure it out as so many American families are now left to do. Katie Simpson, CBC News, Charleston, West Virginia. An American scientist here in Canada investigating the next pandemic. Those conditions are really, really conducive to a virus spreading like wildfire if a virus gets into that population. Up next, the clues to the next big threat. And a little later, Canada approved Pfizer's COVID antiviral pill, but how will it be used? The doctors are here to explain. Welcome back. As we all aim to figure out where on earth Omicron is taking us, there are researchers in this country, some of the best in the world, dedicated to understanding some key mysteries about what's going on, how exactly Omicron developed, and what, God forbid, the next pandemic is all about. It's never been easy work, rarely work in the spotlight. Now it's work that might as well carry a warning label. New boots, new job, new and really thick skin. Because brace yourselves, American virologist Angie Rasmussen has new fan mail. You are so addicted to people respecting you. I have to wonder, how empty is the rest of your life? Self-righteous, pompous, arrogant, dumb you are. Nice, eh? Saskatoon is now home after a move from New York. Not easy. Heading up a lab in Canada's Centre for Pandemic Research in a pandemic? really not easy. And choosing to talk, frankly, to hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers about COVID and vaccines, well, that's what draws all the online hate. Shut the up, Angie. We are so sick of your negative narrative. Go to hell, you inbred uh, I'm really sorry that you're getting all that. That's It's not okay. I can give as good as I get. I try not to insult people personally. I always try to engage with ideas. I'm not going to allow them to take over my platform and amplify the nasty things they're saying. I'm gonna focus on amplifying the message that I think people need to hear. That message, hang in, limit your contacts, get vaccinated, crucially, get the rest of the world vaccinated. And to all levels of government here at home, she says step up even more. It's not so much the virus that surprised me, it's our inability to cope with it that has surprised me. It's certainly not about imposing lockdowns, it's about making it so that everybody has equal access to the tools they need to protect themselves. And I guess I'd say finally, making high quality masks available to every Canadian as well, um, especially making sure that rapid tests and those high quality masks are available in schools. 
Her confidence comes from a career studying viruses. This lab she now calls home is hiring for the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization, or VITO, will soon be one of only a handful in the world secure enough to study deadly new pathogens and how they jump from animals to humans. Speaking of which, let's talk Omicron. Do you have an understanding of Omicron's behavior now? When you look at the sequence of Omicron, it looks like the most recent ancestors of Omicron were actually SARS coronavirus 2 variants that were circulating in mid-2020. How did Omicron evolve without us noticing that Omicron was evolving? That it potentially was evolving in a population of people that isn't monitored closely. But given how transmissible Omicron is and how rapidly it's become the dominant variant in most of the world, it's really unlikely, I think, that, that it would fly below the radar for a year and a half and nobody would have picked it up. So what explains that gap? Where's this variant that's now such a staggering global menace been? Rasmussen's curiosity aligns with her research that just maybe the variant has been hiding elsewhere, maybe coursing through animals instead of humans. And if so, that's a problem. We could be looking potentially at future variants coming out of, out of what's called spillback or infection of animals from the human population the virus starts spreading in those animals and then potentially can pop back into people. And that is one hypothesis for where Omicron came from. And I don't know how worried I should be about what you're saying. So that's really why we're doing this work. Um, we're doing it to try to understand how worried we all should be. Now we know um, that, that COVID or SARS coronavirus 2 has already caused infections in white-tailed deer, um, both in Canada and in the United States. So we thought, you know, what about the other animals that are in Canada? SARS coronavirus 2, we're looking at receptors from a bunch of different animal species that we think might be able to, to actually permit infection of SARS coronavirus 2. And we're testing that in the lab to see if these animals can actually be susceptible to infection. So stay tuned. Stay tuned because after COVID-19, more pandemics are possible, maybe even likely. Saskatchewan is an important place for research about what may come next. The province's economy intricately linked with agriculture. So if researchers identify which animals to worry about, they'll then work fast to find ways to protect both the animals and the economy for everyone's sake. Like what, what is the reason to, to be concerned about commercial farming in, in particular? Many really large farming operations keep animals, sometimes of different species, but in very, very close proximity. And those conditions are really, really conducive to a virus spreading like wildfire if a virus gets into that population. Now, this is already an economic problem for farmers when those are, are livestock diseases that can wipe out their entire herd or their entire flock. Um, but if it's a pathogen like, say, influenza, that can go back and forth between some of these species and between humans, then it becomes what we call really a one health problem. This is work based in Canada, but with learnings for the whole world. And if it looks like Rasmussen hasn't really settled into her offices yet, it's just because there's no time. She needs to keep her eye on other viruses that may be lurking. If we have a pandemic that has a much higher case fatality rate than SARS coronavirus 2, which is comparatively very low uh, next to those other viruses, 
we are going to be in a world of trouble and this pandemic is going to seem like a cakewalk in comparison. A scientist working with urgency on two fronts in the lab and in the murk of the online world, correcting misinformation, explaining the science over and over again, taking the insults and threats and still pushing for more vaccines, more protections and ultimately a bit of hope. The least I can do is, is help empower people with some information about that and let them make their own good decisions about public health for them and their families with the, the best information that they possibly can. There is no such thing as a forever pandemic. It will at least become easier for us to be living with. We should uh, start to enjoy the benefits of population immunity because enough of us have done the right thing and gotten vaccinated. And you've given Canadians an extraordinary education throughout all this. I just have to say to the national Canadian audience that I'm so grateful for how warmly I've been welcomed here. And I'm so glad to be putting down roots here. And, uh, and you know, thank you for welcoming me to your country. I'll try to, to live up to the expectations that have been set for me and that I've set for myself. And she really wants to emphasize that animals, she thinks, are the key. Her team is trying to understand a number of viruses that, say, can infect pigs, for example, but don't pass between humans very well right now. Staying on top of them and changes in them means being able to sound alarms well before it gets deadly for us. And coming up, Canadians have a new tool to help us in this pandemic. A COVID pill was just approved this week, but will it be useful for the fight against Omicron? I ask the doctors next. Health Canada approved Pfizer's new antiviral pill, Paxlovid, yesterday, but the question still remains, how will Canadians access it within the recommended five-day window? Joining us now to discuss what is next, infectious diseases specialist, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, and Dr. Susie Hoda, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Dr. Hoda, if you're someone who's eligible to take this, you have to do it in this, in this brief window. If you're vaccinated, sometimes the symptoms are like runny noses. You, you can't even get a PCR. How are you supposed to find out you have it, get the drug, and then start using it? Uh, it's an excellent question because, like you said, people can have very mild symptoms early on in infection and particularly if they're vaccinated, may not even recognize that something's going on and the clock is ticking at that point. So that's one issue. And then another issue is, like you said, accessing PCR tests and eligibility criteria have changed quite a bit such that most people in the community are not able to access the test. So there are two barriers right there. And then on top of that, for people to understand if they're even eligible, um, you know, which would be what triggers getting a test. You know, you have to self-identify, am I at a high-risk group to actually benefit or be eligible to get this, um, this treatment? And so there's another barrier. So if there's lots of things in the way, that's going to require the healthcare system to pivot in some capacity. Dr. Bogosh, how does that happen? Well, I think that you would offer this medication in multiple venues to enable the greatest chance for success. You'd want this in primary care clinics, you'd want this in emergency departments, and you'd want this in pharmacies. These are places that have testing available on site, have people who can perform the test and interpret the results, for example, if you're using a rapid test on site and who can initiate the medication on site, but while also having a good understanding of the person who's coming in, their medical uh, history, uh, understanding any potential drug interactions, 
and being able to dispense the medication to an eligible person. You mentioned, though, that, that there are drug interactions. So, Dr. Hoda, can we, can we walk through that? Who, who could not take this? There are a large number of potential drug interactions because of the way that one part of this medication works. Um, and so it really does require a thorough uh, review with a pharmacist or whoever is aware of your medications to know if something really important that you're taking, say a cardiac medication, um, could interact with this. And with other uh, types of medications like blood thinners, it may change the levels of uh, blood thinner in your, your blood as well. So adjustments might have to be made to your current medications. And in some cases, it may not be a good option to take this medication uh, because of those interactions. And finally, with chronic kidney disease, there has to be a dose adjustment for some individuals. So, you know, I think it's not so straightforward as here's a pill, I, I want it, I'm eligible, please give it to me. I, it takes a, a more thorough review. Dr. Bogosh, anything you want to add about who can't do this? No, I agree with Dr. Hoda. It's not Halloween candy we're giving out. It's a medication, and you have to have a good understanding of the patient and the drug to make sure that you're providing the best course of therapy for the right person. One last question here. If some of the people who are eligible to take this are the unvaccinated because they would be at higher risk, what is the incentive then for someone who isn't vaccinated and isn't interested in getting the shot, hasn't been convinced so far to now take it? Well, I, I would start off by saying this cannot be a replacement for vaccination. Um, you know, this is another thing that can be added to our strategies to try and manage COVID, but it doesn't replace vaccination. And here's why. I mean, vaccines will provide durable protection and they've actually shown they've protected against severe illness across variants. And also, you know, they protect you at the time that you're ill, they protect you now, they protect you later. There's no guarantee that you're gonna have access, as we've talked about, to these medications at the time that you need them or, you know, be able to fit within that five-day time window. Okay, Dr. Hoda, Dr. Bogosh, as always, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. After massive floods followed by snow and ice, BC's roads are in disrepair. If the road conditions don't have improved, so many people would want to park their trucks. More than an annoyance, drivers say it is dangerous. Plus... This is the first time I've ever tried this. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Okay, okay, hitting the tennis court on ice. Some are hoping the sport is here to stay. BC's main highway into the interior is set to reopen tomorrow to regular traffic. The Coquihalla was closed for weeks to repair extensive damage caused by November's floods, but there are still some pretty big issues with roads elsewhere in the province. And as Renee Filipponi shows us, that has left some drivers worried for their safety. A moment to pray before hitting BC highways. It's become a ritual for some truck drivers. It's not only that we are scared, it's our families that they are scared too. Our kids come and hug us and we can see in their eyes the answer they want. Will you be back? Along with snow and ice, Vijadeep Singh Sahasi says conditions on the roads have severely deteriorated. There are the potholes that are so big that if the truck hits them, obviously we lose the balance. You know, it scares us down and it's a danger for the other users of the road as well. Some of his colleagues have died. If the road conditions don't improve, so many people would want to park their trucks. 
These are the highways truckers rely on every day. Heavily damaged by floods and freezing temperatures in the past three months. The province says repairing them is a top priority. Wet conditions under the roadbed that then freezes and cracks, and we know that uh, those repairs are really important. But it's not just major highways that are crumbling. Potholes have been wreaking havoc for weeks across the province. It can get quite big, and then um, as a result, some people uh, may pop a tire or uh, do rim damage to their vehicle. To prevent that, crews in Burnaby have been working tirelessly to patch up holes. With all the uh, water and the rain we've had and all the snow and the melting and then all the freeze-thaw going on, we've had it's, it's, it's definitely taken a, a toll on our roads this year. Just more damage to fix following months of weather that has so much of the province still in recovery mode. Renee Filipponi, CBC News, Vancouver. A big change is on the way at CBC Radio's As It Happens. Hello, I'm Carol Off. And Carol Off announced today she is stepping down as host after nearly 16 years with the show. She told listeners it's time to move on. She will host her final program on February 25th, then begin work on a new summer series for CBC. Canadian hockey legend Willie O'Ree was honoured tonight. The first black player in NHL history had his number 22 retired by the Boston Bruins and raised to the rafters. O'Ree entered the game in 1958. 60 years later, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The Prime Minister was among many who recorded videos congratulating him. And who says you have to give up tennis in the winter? They're first like, what? Tennis on ice? Is that a thing? You know, everyone, everyone's curious about that. It is apparently a thing, a very Canadian solution coming up next in our moment. If you love tennis but have to give it up every winter, an Edmonton man has the solution for you. So strap on some skates and take tennis to the rink. Yes, ice tennis. That is a very Canadian idea. And that's our moment. Once the season ends for tennis, the snow hits, you can't really be, uh, you, can't, you can't play anymore and that's it. So I thought, why not combining those two and actually playing, you know, ice tennis, show how Canadian we really are. <laughs> you can either be on uh, shoe studs or you can be on skates. This is the first time I've ever tried this. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I originally thought it was without skates, just on a really slippery surface, but I was still down to try it. Now that I'm here, I'm glad I did. It's really great how many people showed up today, you know, seeing all the smiles and them trying it their hardest. I think it gets their attention. So they're first like, what? Tennis on ice? Is that a thing? You know, everyone, everyone's curious about that. They love it. They're like, they, they want to be back. So I just, I can't wait for them to be back too. And it'd be fun. So I am all in for this. I cannot skate to save my life, but I love tennis. So helmet, mouth guard, elbow pads, knee pads. If I can still move after that, I'm in. That is the National for January the 18th. Good night.
Coming up on DTNS, Jonathan Strickland explains why NFTs are not a magic tool for the metaverse, why telcos and airlines are fighting over 5G in the United States, and Microsoft did some post-holiday shopping, woke up and found they'd pre-ordered Activision Blizzard, shipping sometime next year. This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, January 18th, 2022 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Redwood, I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Roger Shang, the show's producer. And joining us, executive producer at iHeartMedia, Jonathan Strickland. Welcome back to the show. It's been too darn long. Yay. Yeah. Howdy, y'all. It's good to be back. It's good to have you back. I uh, can't wait to talk about the metaverse stuff because I think you've got an important take that we don't hear enough people talking about. Uh, we were just talking about all kinds of stuff, including memories of ammonia leaks and fires on Good Day Internet. Get that longer version of the show at patreon.com slash DTNS. Big thanks to our top patrons. Today they include Andrew Bradley, Dale McCahey, and Scott Hepburn. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. After no showing its own event on January 11th, Samsung has announced the Exynos 2200 smartphone mobile processor. It's the first mobile system on a chip with a GPU known as Xclipse, starting with an X, running AMD's RDNA 2 graphics architecture and manufactured on Samsung's 4 nanometer EUV process, allowing for hardware accelerated ray tracing. Other specs include one high-powered Cortex-X2 flagship core, three Cortex-A710 cores for balanced performance, and four more efficient Cortex-A510 cores, an upgraded NPU and ISP architecture that can support camera sensors of up to 200 megapixels. Samsung and AMD first announced a licensing deal back in 2019. Samsung, why did you ghost on us? We're not here to talk about the past. Here's our Exynos chip. Uh, speaking of smartphones, data from Canalys shows that Apple had the most smartphone shipments in Q4 2021 worldwide, 22% of the global smartphone market, topping Samsung, which fell back to second place at 20%. Xiaomi kept hold of third place with 12% share, and if you're keeping track, Oppo came in at fourth at 9%, and Vivo in fifth place at 8%. You may recall back in November, Amazon proposed a ban on UK-issued Visa cards to pay for goods and services on Amazon service because of the high fees that Amazon said Visa was charging. A lot of customers weren't too happy about that. Now, Amazon says that the expected change regarding the use of Visa credit cards on Amazon.co.uk will no longer take place on January 19th. That's when it was set to go into effect originally. Amazon says it's working with Visa to come to a solution that won't require customers to use alternative, alternative payment methods. Now, unlike in the U.S., Visa doesn't currently offer a co-branded Amazon card in the U.K., Maybe that's how they worked it out. Look for that soon. Mm -hmm. uh, central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. You've heard us talk about them. They're worth keeping an eye on. They are not competitors to cryptocurrency so much as attempts to smooth out a lot of the operations of a nation's financial system by using some of the benefits of a blockchain, albeit not decentralized. We've mentioned that the Bahamas and its sand dollar were the first to launch a CBDC. Uh, since then, back in October, Nigeria launched its Naira, and Cambodia's Bakong has reached half of its population. And of course, China 
is the biggest country experimenting with CBDCs. Still hasn't fully launched the digital yuan, but it now has 261 million individual users, about a fifth of the population. All right, let's talk about the, what pretty much ate up all of uh, social media this morning, the, uh, the fact that Microsoft has announced an agreement to acquire Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion. Reminder, this deal is not expected to close until Microsoft's fiscal 2023. Microsoft's fiscal 2023 begins, confusingly for people who don't follow finance, July 1st, 2022. And it won't happen right on July 1st. It'll happen when it gets regulatory approval sometime between July 1st, 2022 and June 30th, 2023, if everything goes as planned, which it might not. So don't get confused in June when Activision, Blizzard, and Microsoft are still not the same company. Could be anywhere between July this year and June of next year, and probably on the later end of that, given the complexity and the number of markets these two companies operate in. However, once it's done, Microsoft expects it'll make them the third largest gaming company in the world by revenue behind Tencent and Sony. Microsoft has already said when it gets this done, it plans to add as many Activision Blizzard games as it can to Xbox Game Pass. Activision Blizzard, for example, has World of Warcraft, Diablo, Call of Duty, Candy Crush. They, some or all of those might it show up. Activision Blizzard, however, is not a company without issues. It has been dealing with sexual harassment problems, including reaching an $18 million settlement with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and being sued by California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing. Wall Street Journal sources say 37 employees have been, quote-unquote, exited, in other words, fired, uh, since last July, and 44 more were disciplined. While Bobby Kotick will remain CEO of Activision Blizzard for the time being, and at least through the close of the deal, it's unclear what will happen once Microsoft takes control. Activision Blizzard's lead, whoever it is, will report to Microsoft CEO of gaming, Phil Spencer, and the Wall Street Journal sources are saying that Kotick probably won't stay on. Satya Nadella summed up Microsoft's strategy on this acquisition in a statement saying, quote, we're investing deeply in world-class content, community, and the cloud. Now, this was said in relation to a gaming acquisition. I, I get that, but pay attention to the breakdown there. Gaming, uh, or, or content, community, and the cloud. Uh, that implies that there are things other than the cloud, other than Azure, that Microsoft now hopes to capitalize on. Uh, they've, they've, they've been doing good. They're not going to stop with Azure. But uh, content community, a very interesting way of putting that. Um, lots of takes here. Jonathan, where, where's your head at on this? I mean, you were getting at it toward the very end there, Tom. I was feeling like Satya was getting a bit meta with all that, yeah. as in metaverse. <laughs> yeah. um, which, of course, is the topic that no one can get around, and we'll talk about it more later on in the show. So uh, I think it's... I actually think it's promising for multiple angles. I think it's promising in the sense that my hope is Microsoft coming in can help Activision Blizzard uh, clean house and get things in order. And and I often feel skepticism when a company that has been revealed to have a, a toxicity to its corporate culture at a very deep ingrained level, like uh, like 
a generational level in the case of Activision Blizzard. I often am skeptical that such a company can turn things around by themselves. Uh, it's not impossible. It's just really hard. And I know a lot of people have expressed skepticism with Kodak in charge in particular. Um, I feel like this perhaps could be a chance for that to really have a, a true transformational change, which I think would benefit all the people who work at Activision Blizzard. And then that sort of has a trickle down effect of, uh, I believe, when people are in a space that's safe, where they feel their contributions are valued, they produce better work, which means you get better games down the line too. And then of course with Game Pass, the immediate boon for gamers is that they'll get access to more titles very quickly. So I think at least in the short term, this has a lot of positives. Uh, I don't foresee a ton of regulatory resistance to this simply because, as you mentioned, uh, even with the acquisition, Microsoft won't be the dominant company in that space. That doesn't mean they won't face some resistance. It's also a global market, so it gets yep. way more complicated. But I think that there are no obvious roadblocks that I see. Yeah, I mean, before we move on, I mean, this is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, well, I know it's uh, Microsoft's biggest acquisition. I believe the biggest one was LinkedIn, which was in the $20 billion range mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago. So, I mean, this is this is that and, 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 and quite a bit more money. Kotick not resigning as CEO of Activision Blizzard sort of surprised me for some time because... Activision Blizzard had gotten so much press as being a problematic company, and you, you kind of figure that if somebody's at the helm and you know these things are happening, they often aren't at the helm anymore. This like makes a lot more sense to me now. Yeah. <laughs> why? Yeah. Why? Uh, why? Wait, Kotick, and and not stepping away today. I mean, might be more than a year, uh, but uh, before Microsoft officially uh, takes over of the company, but. It sounds like there was, you know, some boardroom deals that were already in the mix. Yeah, there, there definitely will be a story coming out on the of what the shareholder involvement in this dance was, and what, you know, if it was Kodak agreeing, like, okay, fine, uh, you know, sell to Microsoft, and then, uh, then I'll step away gracefully, get my parachute from Microsoft. Who knows? We'll find out all of that stuff. There's also lots of stuff to talk about in the gaming competitive landscape you know does call of duty become a microsoft exclusive only on xbox and pc they're not saying that uh and and certainly sony would not benefit from that were it to happen uh i have some thoughts on on the fact that uh, they have made, I think Phil Spencer made some noises about like, well, eventually Xbox Cloud, you know, Xbox Game Pass, they're going to have to be available on PlayStation. Maybe this is how they do it. They use this as leverage uh, to get that. We, we'll, we'll talk about this some more with Scott Johnson tomorrow, but it, it definitely feels like, like Microsoft is going to have more leverage to force some deals with Sony uh, in the future. Well, Toronto's Citizen Lab has issued a report on the 2022 Winter Olympics app called My 2022 that China is requiring all athletes, audience members, and media to use for daily COVID monitoring, anybody who's going to be involved in the Olympics. All visitors traveling from outside China to the Beijing Olympics must download the app 14 days before they travel to China 
and start recording daily COVID statuses. Foreign visitors must also upload passport details and travel and medical histories. Now, though COVID tracking is the main purpose, the app also includes the ability to do some voice chats, there's some social stuff, make file transfers, read Olympics news. It's designed to do a little bit more than just, you know, have your medical history involved. Citizen Lab, though, found some things that's not super surprised about. There is a feature to flag things as politically sensitive, a list of censored words as well. The words list is inactive, so it would be a boilerplate addition to any Chinese-made software. Not a huge surprise. But Citizen Lab also asserts that the app's encryption has a flaw that could be exploited by attackers to intercept voice audio and file transfers if you were to use those features of this app. It also says that server responses could be spoofed to show fake instructions to users and confuse them. The company that made the app didn't respond to Citizen Labs disclosures, but state-run Global Times reported that all personal information will be encrypted to ensure privacy. Okay, well, you believe them or you don't. Several uh, countries have recommended that their athletes use rental or disposable phones, burner phones, and computers and new email addresses meant only for use in connection with the Olympics. Yeah, so... uh... I mean, Global Times is not wrong. Uh, Citizen Labs didn't say there wasn't encryption. They just said the encryption had vulnerabilities in it that could let you get around it. So, you know. Yeah, it'll be encrypted, just not well. The door's locked, but the windows are all open. Yeah, the door door is locked. I mean, there's a few people might have the key besides you, but... (laughs) But it's definitely locked. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. This None of this surprises me. I, I think it's gotten a lot more play just because it's China. China. Um, and, mm. and, you know, that list of censored words and stuff, it's like you're not going to have a piece of software made by a Chinese company that doesn't have that in the source code somewhere. The fact that it's not active, I, I think, is more of a surprise to me than the fact that the list is even there. But uh, I, w- I would like to see this company respond to Citizen Labs' responsible disclosure, uh, especially because athletes from all over the world are going to be forced to use this. You, you want it to be secure because it's got their passport information and everything in there, their health rec. Some of their health information is going to be in there. It's important stuff. It's it's just interesting to me to see the recommendations to people who are attending the Olympics be not unlike the recommendations I would make to someone who's going to DEFCON for the first time. I, yeah. I had the same thought. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you might want to use a burner phone. Uh, definitely turn off all your devices. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like the nation of DEFCON. Uh, in December, we did a know a little more episode about the problem with C-band 5G roller out, rollouts and airlines. Uh, we talked to airline captain and computer scientist Brian Hoffman about that. But here's the short version if, if you don't have time to go listen to that entire episode. AT&T and Verizon want to roll out new 5G service in a bit of the spectrum that the FCC has authorized them to use. That part is in, in controversy. But the spectrum happens to be near spectrum used by some airplane equipment, particularly something called radar altimeter or radalt, which is used often for landing in poor visibility, you know, to tell you where the ground is. Kind of important when you're landing a big old airplane. The FAA worries that some radalt equipment, especially older equipment, may be affected by C-band 5G transmissions, 
since some equipment uses a little more bandwidth than it was designed to, than it's supposed to. So it's, you know, the, the truth on the ground is different than the truth on paper. C-band service happens without disruption to airlines in other countries, though. And the FAA says that it's different here because, A, C-band and equipment spectrum are closer to each other in the U.S. than they are in other countries. And the 5G service being launched here uses higher power levels. The FAA says it will not allow flights to use uncertified equipment near 5G broadcast, which could cause flights to be delayed or diverted during poor weather if those 5G broadcasts are happening. Sunday, the FAA certified two models of radar altimeter for use at the 88 airports expected to be most affected by C-band rollouts. That's about 45% of the aircraft, but that leaves a lot of aircraft still uncertified. And the telcos have agreed to buffer zones where they will not have C-band transmissions near the runways of 50 airports in the U.S. That includes big ones like L.A., New York, and Chicago. That brings us to Monday when the executives of 11 airlines signed a letter uh, saying these measures are not enough to avoid significant disruption to flights and asking the U.S. government to intervene and delay the 5G rollout longer. They painted a picture of, you know, half their fleets being grounded and not being able to fly in the fog and rain. And so Tuesday, AT&T and Verizon both complained but agreed to postpone the rollout once again at a limited number of towers around certain airport runways beyond the 50 they had previously agreed to create buffer zones near. And that's where we're at on that now. So, Tom... Uh... With the FAA saying, well, this radar equipment, particularly older equipment, it's not going to play nicely, uh, that is not something that can be handled at the airport level in order to roll this out more smoothly? What do you mean by handled at the airport level? Meaning update your old equipment. Oh, yes. If everybody bought new equipment, <laughs> uh, that that. That would solve the problem, but you're talking about a lot of planes, you're talking about yeah. a lot of cost, and you're talking about airlines going like, well, why should we pay to replace perfectly good working equipment uh, when you could just not operate your 5G near the runway? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, uh, Patrick Belton of uh, lightreading.com wrote a really interesting article about this where uh, he was actually making the argument that a lot of this, it's it's there is the technicality part, the technological part and the uh, safety concerns part, but there's also a political struggle between organizations that re that represent the telecom industry and organizations that represent the aviation industry that largely boils down to, we agree that some equipment needs to be replaced. We want you to pay for it. And it's both mm -hmm. sides saying that. And it comes down to this argument about the agreement that 200 megahertz was an appropriate buffer band between the upper level of the 5G C band uh, that AT&T and Verizon are using, which tops out at, I think, 3.98 gigahertz, and the low end of uh, radio altimeters, which is around 4.2 gigahertz. Um, and that they said, well, everyone agreed on that. So since you agreed on that, and since we went by that, that means that you, aviation industry, should foot the bill. Whereas the aviation industry is saying, you're pushing this, uh, this agenda, this this schedule on us, we're telling you that we need more time for testing for the FAA to certify that we can actually operate in these uh, these these regions under these conditions. So you should really pay 
for the updates. And that is a large part of this as well. And it's it, it's always interesting to me to see that that convergence of politics, uh, uh, financial interests, and the actual technology, and and of course concern for safety, all collide because it always leaves you questioning which part is actually the most crucial at this at this point of the conversation. Yeah, a Amos, uh, I saw you turn your camera on, our producer Amos. I know you've worked on a tarback or two. Did you did you have a thought on this? Yeah, with the comment of Sarah saying, you know, just we can, can't we just replace the radar alt radar altimeters? Uh, part of the problem there is that each airframe and often each variation of that airframe will have a different form factor for the radar alt, and they're very bespoke to a specific line. And a lot of the companies that created these, that made them in the first place, are either out of business or have been folded into a new business and are no longer making them and providing just enough parts to re, you know, repair the ones mm -hmm. that are there. So actually going in and doing all that, it's not just a like a simple box swap. You know, you can't just take a video card out of one computer and throw another and everything work fine. It's sometimes the form factor, the physical form factor, mm -hmm. the weight distribution of it. And all that has to play part into retrofitting these older planes. Mm. So it, I can see where the airlines are coming from that it's it's a lot more consuming than than what you know than at first glance. But at the same time, I I don't disagree with everything John, Jonathan Strickland just said that you know it, it's there. And if you're not if you're not using the bandwidth that was given to you, that's a problem with your equipment, not necessarily the the cell phone towers. But yeah, it, it can be a lot more involving just because of the physical form factor, the weight of it can shift how the aircraft flies and everything else. It's it's pretty intense, but it does need to get done. That makes sense because I've seen several uh, airline uh, commenters say in some cases you just have to replace the plane. Uh, and, and and that could be why because it's, it's just too old to, to retrofit. Oh, well, folks, uh, if you like science and tech intersecting like that, check out Nikki Ackerman's new miniseries, Scientists in Tech, on how a researcher is using remote digital cameras to track endangered wildlife. It was in your feed this weekend. You might have listened to it already. So check it out in your DTNS feed right here. Well, one way to make money in our new metaverse, whatever that ends up being is to sell ads. Oh, tech. As an example, the Financial Times sources obtained documents from Meta detailing patents on body and facial tracking, including eye tracking, that could make virtual experiences more realistic and possibly improve their ad targeting. Might improve the experience as well, but ad targeting definitely part of the mix. Another method would be to sell you virtual things. And in less speculative news, Coinbase announced that it has partnered with MasterCard so you can buy NFTs with fiat currency if you so desire. Because NFTs record ownership, it's often assumed that they'll be a great way of letting you own and use virtual things in the metaverse because there's a ledger. There's record of all the stuff. Who owns what? Jonathan, you seem to believe that's easier said than done. And we might need to fix a few issues first. In fact, you reference an article by Intel's Raja Kadori about technical requirements for NFTs. So, so what are the technical requirements that give you the most pause? Uh, well, <laughs> in that in that post that Kadori put, puts out, uh, he posits that uh, we would require 
uh, compute power, networking capability, all the bits and pieces that would run this machine of the metaverse at about a thousand times more power than what we currently have at our disposal with cutting edge technology, which is, I would argue, significant. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, the, the tech part is just one issue of it. Obviously, one of the big problems we have is that we don't have a definition for what the metaverse truly is, right? We have a lunch, bunch of different companies that are pouncing after this idea of the metaverse, but because we don't actually have a thing to look at and say, here's how it's going to work, that makes a lot of these conversations speculative at best, which creates... Uh, I would argue grounds for disaster if you are someone who's enthusiastic about it, but not informed enough to be super careful, which is why I get nervous about the NFT side. So the way that I see NFTs being positioned right now are often in the sense of this is a way of recording a purchase, whether it's a piece of virtual real estate or an object within a metaverse, or very frequently I'm seeing it described as being able to purchase something within one pocket metaverse and potentially port it over to other pocket metaverses. So this would free you up so that let's say you're in Meta's metaverse, but you really like the virtual coats that are in Microsoft's version of the metaverse. So you want to go and buy a virtual coat, but you spend most of your time in Meta's metaverse. So you want to bring that virtual coat over to Meta. A lot of people are talking about NFTs being this kind of token that would allow that sort of portability, except that that ignores the need to actually build all that stuff from a coding perspective. And uh, I, I see a lot of people making an analogy with video games saying, imagine that you're playing like a call of duty Warzone, and you buy a gun in that, and you want to use that same gun in maybe Microsoft's halo series. Well, you actually have to build all that. You have to include that in the physics of the engine. And because we don't have one cohesive metaverse, we're talking about, we're really looking at a lot of walled gardens potentially. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that that's actually going to be how it all pans out. And I worry because the sales pitch could be very different from the virtual reality we actually encounter when it when it blossoms. Well, and also, okay, so using the gun as an example, say that I I pay a pretty penny for the gun NFT that can can be ported uh, through uh, uh, the metaverse, depending on. Um, where I'm, where I'm hanging out, where I might be playing a game, where I might use that. Couldn't you just say, well, I paid this much money and my gun can never miss. And so now my gun is better than everyone else's <laughs> gun. Like that's not going to work. No, but I think it's more likely that we're going to see issues where there's going to be these promises made where the people who actually have to build the stuff are the ones who eventually have to explain unless there is what deep the collaboration, are. it's just not going to happen. Right? Like, that's the real fear. Like I think we can always define what is uh, possible or not possible within any virtual world. I mean, the rules can be defined by the way the creators who create the world. The other aspect of this, the, the compute power plays into this too. I believe anything that, at least anything I would call a metaverse would need to be pretty expansive in what you could do, what you encounter, the number of people you encounter. And currently 
that we we see some pretty big limitations, at least on on the number of people. Like if you look at Facebook's Horizon Worlds, I think that caps out at 20 people per virtual world. That seems small for a metaverse. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, you could have pockets of that, right? Where you're transferring from sure. one to another, but that that I can't imagine that being a seamless experience. And it's like if you're at a party and you're thinking, wow, man, things are really popping in the kitchen, but it is so crowded. There's no way for me to get in there to see what's happening. That's kind of what I think about. And like, these are the, just the technical issues I see, even within a walled in garden. Like if we're just looking at Meta's version of a metaverse, these are, are issues that I think are going to take time to solve. And by time, I mean like a few years. Uh, I'm reminded, I mean, we've all seen the hype cycle. We've all been there when something's really been taking off. But I'm always reminded of the 1990s, like late 80s, early 90s, when virtual reality first got its start and everybody was jumping on board until they tried it. And then we're deeply disappointed and the industry died for more than a decade. Um, I'm worried that we're heading toward the same thing with metaverse right now because the hype train is just so out of control. And in the meantime, I'm worried about people who get swept up in that and think, oh, I want to buy that virtual pair of sneakers or I want to get that virtual real estate that's next to that wrapper that I really like. And then they end up sinking a lot of money into something that never really comes to fruition. That's, I always get concerned about that because I never want to see people get burned by their enthusiasm. Yeah, there's a big difference between what you can do today, which sounds like it will be part of the future metaverse, and what the metaverse, whatever it ends up being, uh, ends up being someday, which is, I don't know, five years, 10 years down the road? Uh, I mean, think about how long it took the web, which was interoperable from the start, to really catch on. It wasn't mm -hmm. until like 98, 99 that businesses really were starting to do it. And it then it crashed and it wasn't until the mid 2000s that it even became common. So I, I, this is a situation where like, I've, I've definitely used the like, hey, you know, the idea is like somebody is gonna just make uh, wizard swords and then anybody can build a game that uses those wizard swords, right? I think that's a great example of how NFTs don't have to just be like weird collectibles, they could be useful. But that also, you know, I think you you bring up a good point, means only those games that build on that system will be able to use that wizard sword. And there's a long time between now and that becoming a regular ecosystem that you can trust and say like, ah, this is the place to buy the wizard sword that can be used at a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. Those sneakers, NFTs you're buying now, not likely for you to be able to wear those in the future because people will say like, oh yeah, but that was the old NFTs before whatever we end up developing comes into play. Yeah. And I, I also think that, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, a situation where NFTs may not even be needed if it is like a truly a walled garden experience where we don't see this interoperability between different metaverses, then there's an argument to be made that NFTs might not be needed at all because you could just have that all contained within the one or system. NFTs end up being Usenet while everyone's using AOL. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, I think back to the old days of the early days of, uh, of social network platforms where, you know, you just would end up going to wherever your friends were. Right. And yeah, there, there was right. no, there was no guarantee that Facebook was going to win over MySpace, which feels, I feel so old saying that, but like there was no guarantee in the early days that that was going to happen. But, you know, people started to gravitate toward it and it just became kind of an avalanching trend um, and of course, there were obviously decisions made at Facebook and decisions made at MySpace that contributed to that significantly as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah. but then you're like, well, what metaverse do I invest into? If there's one right. that is only compatible with certain equipment, then you might be sinking a huge amount of money in stuff for uh, what ends up being a ghost really town. Translate, yeah. yeah. My GeoCities site is no longer accessible. <laughs> All right, let's check out the mailbag before we get out of here. Justin. Wrote in with a joke. Sometimes we like to, you know, we like to kick around some jokes, usually on GDI, that we think are funny. Justin had a joke he'd like to share with the group. He says, what vampire does everyone accept, but basically ignore? Like, accept. Like, I accept you, vampire. I accept but I also you, but you. I'm not really paying much attention to you. <laughs> G oh, I don't know, up. Sarah. I what know. vampire does everyone accept, but basically ignore? Dracula. I never I never scroll I never scroll all the way I never scroll all the way through a vampire. That's the problem, is I just never You just click okay. I see it and I'm like, you're fine. Come on in. It's a good metaphor because you just click OK and suddenly it's sucking your blood. <laughs> we love a good tech joke. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com is where to send those jokes. Uh, anything that you hear us talk about in the show or you'd like us to talk about in a future show, please do send uh, your thoughts our way. We really do appreciate all of your emails, jokes or not. We also have some brand new bosses to thank. They include X Harding, Ben Fiore, and Jackson Bueno all just started backing us on Patreon. So we'd like to thank X Harding and Ben and Jackson. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Good to have new bosses, new blood. There, there's even new folks in the Discord now. Welcome, everybody. It's good to, good to have new folks in the house. Absolutely. New blood. Get it? Eula. <laughs> Vampires. Uh, thanks that. also to Jonathan Strickland for being with us. Jonathan's been way too long since we've all been on a show together. Let folks know where they can keep up with all that you do. Oh, sure. Okay, so I host a show called Tech Stuff. It's a tech podcast that publishes five times a week. And I also am a co-host on a show called Large Nerdron Collider about geeky news and, and mashups. And it's really silly. And that comes out on Thursdays with my co-host, Ariel Kasten. Check it out. Excellent. Well, please do come back early and often. Uh, we are live on this show also Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 21.30 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Join us live if you can. We'll be back doing it all again tomorrow with Scott Johnson. Talk to you soon. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>
from the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide. In Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. Chang in San Francisco, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, a $69 billion deal. Microsoft agrees to buy Activision Blizzard in an all-cash transaction to hatch the world's third biggest gaming company. New details on how it all came together, plus the antitrust hurdles Satya Nadella's company may have to jump. Plus, President Biden thanks Verizon and AT&T for agreeing to delay 5G around key airports. What are the real risks and when will the new service take flight? And Airball, the NBA once again finds itself in a controversy linked to China. This time it involves serial dealmaker Chamath Palihapitiya, a part owner of the Golden State Warriors. We've got all the details. All that in a moment, but first let's get a look at the market stocks falling across the board. The tech-heavy Nasdaq 100 sinking more than 2.5% dragged down by mega caps like Apple and Meta. Our Ed Ludlow has the latest. Ed, walk us through the day. Yeah, you think you're coming back from a long weekend, a nice relaxed start to the week. No financial markets picking up where we left off. Same story and rising yields, the outlook for interest rates. We will see rate hikes sooner and faster. And that's really impacted tech stocks with stretch multiples. You see that in the Nasdaq 100 down 2.6% at its lowest level since October. Really outside selling in semiconductors, interestingly, the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, you see there down 4.44%. You have to remember throughout the course of 2021, it was an outperformer. And as I said, you see yields rise 9 basis point gain in the 10-year yield uh, on Tuesday to 1.87%. I want to look at Bitcoin specifically as well. We're at $42,389 per token. But let's look about the last five days because it has been a long weekend and we've been trickling lower. We kind of peaked over the weekend Saturday night around $44,000. You can see just above my hand. And then we've trickled down. And there's a lot of discussion in the market from analysts, from some of the options market that $40,000 per token could be the bottom. So even though we've been trickling lower, you remember that selling over around seven to 10 days ago, well, that might be the bottom and things could go up from here. You see a little bounce back as we went into Wednesday's session. I do want to take a really quick look at semiconductors a little bit more closely because it was a pretty interesting drop. There's not much way in the, in the way of news flow, but this is what I was talking about. Throughout 2021 with that chip crunch, the shortage of semiconductors, Conductors. The SOX has been an outperformer. There's been so much gain and buying that this might be some pullback. And let's finish on the story of the day. We can't get away from it. Microsoft and Activision. The stock reaction speaks for itself. Microsoft paying a big premium to Activision's Friday closing price before the long weekend and even its trading price throughout the day on Tuesday. $69 billion deal, as you say. And this is a big deal. I mean, think about the transactions we had in 2021. From memory, Discovery was pretty much up there, right, as the biggest. Well, this is even bigger and there's so much to discuss. All right, Ed, you got it. Let's get more on this blockbuster gaming deal. Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard in an all-cash deal valued at almost $69 billion. 
Activision is known for titles like Call of Duty and World of Warcraft, and most of its games are already published on Microsoft's Xbox consoles. Bloomberg's Leanna Baker joins us with all the details. So hearing that, it sounds like it makes more sense. But Leanna, this is a massive deal. How did this all come together? So it's Microsoft's largest deal to date, and certainly it hadn't really leaked out at all. So it seems like it came together at some point uh, after Thanksgiving. You might remember that the Wall Street Journal published pretty bruising allegations against Activision CEO Bobby Kotick uh, for you know overseeing a company that didn't have the best workplace culture. There was a lot of harassment claims in there. So at some point after that story came out, uh, these talks must have started is what we understand. But it, it hadn't, hadn't been going on very long. And you might remember last week, Zynga got acquired by Take-Two. So gaming deals are really starting the year at a historical high here. There's never been so much deal making uh, than we've seen this year so far. What will the antitrust scrutiny be here? I mean, any deal of this size is going to have to go through hoops. Will Microsoft run into some hurdles? The question is, what regulatory body won't it go through? There are so many jurisdictions around the world. We think the deal might need approval in China, where Microsoft has a footprint. Uh, we know the EU always shows keen interest in U.S. tech deals. And then, of course, there's the DOJ and the U.S. FTC. We're trying to figure out which of those bodies will, um, you know, have oversight over this one. But certainly it's going to come under a lot of scrutiny. I would expect this takes over a year to be approved. The companies have said we won't see this approved until 2023 at the earliest. So uh, we'll be talking about this one, Emily, for quite a long time, given uh, how much is at stake here. Now, let's talk a little bit about the sort of controversy surrounding Activision Blizzard. There have been calls for CEO Bobby Kotick to step down. He is staying in that job, at least according to the terms of the deal we see now. You know, talk to us about why Microsoft is, is taking this risk. I mean, Satya talked about making gaming a more inclusive industry. I mean, I just wonder whether that factored into this deal as a potential risk. Definitely. And to me, it seems like uh, this is an elegant exit, actually, for Bobby Kotick and his C-suite. Uh, the deal will take a while to be approved, and he'll be at the helm until that point. Um, after the deal closes, it's unclear what his future holds. I think the Wall Street Journal reported that he would exit at that point. Um, we're still looking into this. But I think the wording was really careful in that statement from Microsoft. So it doesn't say, you know, Kodak is signed on for the next five years. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if under Phil Spencer, the Xbox chief, uh, there are going to be some changes at Activision. Remember that Microsoft itself does not have the best culture in video games either. I think there have been issues before there. It's pretty widespread in video games, it seems. So I don't think Activision's the only company that needs to reform its ways. Well, it'll be interesting to see how they navigate that. And I can't help but go back to Sacha's statement and, and announcing this deal and using that word again, inclusive. But of course, it also ties into Microsoft's ambitions in the metaverse. And Nadella did join us last year exclusively to talk about how Microsoft is making this big bet on the metaverse in an enterprise 
world. Take a quick listen to what he had to say. Whenever I think about the metaverse, it sort of comes down to really bringing the real world people, places and things to the digital world. And this pandemic, if anything, have made, I would say, the commercial use cases much more mainstream, even though sometimes the consumer stuff feels like science fiction. Leanna, what's the role of the, the, the metaverse here? I mean, for so, for so many, it seems like it's still just a buzzword or marketing, but certainly this, uh, you know, efforts, uh, Microsoft getting, you know, a, a, a big foot deeper into this digital world. So virtual worlds might seem new, but video gamers have been living in these virtual worlds for years. Activision owns World of Warcraft and, uh, you know, Microsoft also has Halo. So a lot of these users are living virtually already. Although it is still a buzzword, the metaverse, but we've reported that both companies are going to use the argument that the metaverse is an emerging technology and that this deal will better position Microsoft and Activision to succeed in that world where there's going to be a lot of big players, whether it's Meta or um, Alphabet trying to have a footprint there. So even if the metaverse is still emerging, it's part of the antitrust argument we understand uh, that Microsoft will be making in, in Washington with regulators. All right. Well, we're certainly going to follow all of those ways. Bloomberg's Leanna Baker from our deals team. Thanks so much for giving us the extra color there. I also want to bring in Bloomberg's Tom Giles, our executive editor for Bloomberg Technology. Tom, huge deals like this are hard to do in secret, and Microsoft has somehow done it again. I'm having flashbacks to my LinkedIn days where, where no one saw it coming. Tell us more about what we know happened behind the scenes here. Yeah, it's funny. I was on a plane the morning that the LinkedIn deal got announced, so it took me very much by surprise. Uh, this one also was not one that any of us really had any heads up on, um, but clearly what happened here was Microsoft took note of the scandals and the controversy that were roiling uh, Activision. You saw that share price come down um, and all of the questions that were being raised about Kodak's leadership, about the direction of the company, about the culture, clearly resonated in Redmond. So as, as these stories were coming out, as the, the management was embroiled in all of this, that's when Satya Nadella asked some of his deputies, including Spencer, to reach out to the folks at Activision to find out, hey, maybe right now is the time to start thinking about something along these lines. Um, we are told that Bobby Kotick initially was resistant to the deal, but that he himself sent out feelers to see whether if Microsoft came in, any of the other big players might be willing to follow suit maybe strike up something of a bidding war. So those are some of the, the, the questions and some of the, the kind of behind the scenes color that we've picked up on. Um, now, of course, when we talked to uh, Kodak earlier today, he denied that this deal had anything to do with the controversy. But if you're Microsoft, even though you're awash in billions of dollars in cash, which they're clearly spending on this deal, you had to take note when Activision's share price came down so substantially 
uh, in the aftermath of these allegations and the investigations? Well, Microsoft has certainly been no stranger to big deals just in the last year. Nuance and Bethesda also in the gaming space. I wonder what your take is on the, you know, sort of pushing the envelope there, especially amidst all of this regulatory scrutiny facing big tech. Well, they, they got Nuance uh, through most of the regulatory hurdles that it needs to, uh, that it needs to, to clear. But this is just in a completely different league. Um, I know you were talking to Liana about this, and we've been talking about it on Bloomberg TV throughout the day, um, but this is a much bigger deal. And so far, Microsoft has been able to um, really steer clear of the most recent round of antitrust uh, scrutiny that has befallen Amazon, Apple, the company formerly known as Facebook, um, Alphabet, the, you know, um, all of them facing regulatory headaches throughout, uh, throughout the country and around the world. The sense that we're getting is that regulators will take a very, very close look at this. And this sense that Microsoft has been dodging the bullets faced by the other big tech platforms uh, may no longer be the case. How do you think this, you know, signal of, of future consolidation will ripple through the gaming community, which already has been consolidating, but is really a collection of studios around the world? Yeah, well, clearly the market um, felt that this was a buy signal for some of the competitors. The sense is, is, you know, we talk about the metaverse again. You were talking to Leon about it. The sense is that these platforms may want to take a, you know, uh, really sort of stake a claim out there. Micro, meta, excuse me, Facebook has been talking about this for many, many months with their Oculus platform and some of the other uh, uh, changes that they've announced. They really want to establish themselves in a pole position here. This is Microsoft saying, we are not going to be left behind in whatever, whatever version of the metaverse uh, materializes, we're not going to be left behind. We're going to give Meta a run for its money. But the strong speculation out there is that Amazon, which also has a gaming business um, that's that's had its ups and downs in recent in recent years, may have to follow suit. Um, what does Apple do? Uh, what does Alphabet do? And certainly, all of these companies have big big arsenals. What they don't have is a clear path to re regulatory scrutiny in an era when, um, when the FTC and the DOJ just today announcing new rules and tighter scrutiny of these kinds of deals. And you have, don't forget, you have lawmakers talking a big game of breaking up big tech. All right. Big game indeed, and Microsoft playing in the big leagues. Thank you, our Tom Giles, for that update. Meantime, this Microsoft announcement comes on the very same day. U.S. antitrust enforcers announced an effort to toughen merger reviews. The DOJ and FTC saying a new framework is needed to combat a surge in deals that threatens to worsen already high concentration across industries. This move furthers President Biden's initiative to tackle the spread of dominant companies across the economy and boost competition through antitrust enforcement and government regulation.
Coming up, how do we combat future COVID waves? CEO Jason Kelly from the biotech firm Ginkgo Bioworks will join us next to talk about their plan for a large-scale biosecurity infrastructure to fight new surges of the virus and more. This is Bloomberg. Omicron won't be the last variant, and comprehensive strategies are still needed to reduce severe disease, deaths, transmission. That is according to the World Health Organization. This is exactly the mission of my next guest, Ginkgo Bioworks, a biotech company that wants to create a large-scale biosecurity infrastructure to catch ongoing infectious disease threats. CEO Jason Kelly with me here now. Jason, great to have you back on the show. So what are the Thanks. strategies? How do we combat the next Omicron? Certainly, it's going to happen. Yeah, it is going to happen. And I, I actually think this is particularly important for business leaders, right? So, for example, the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference was last week, right, virtual. Uh, Davos is supposed to be this week, canceled. You know, I, I had four, you know, large conferences in January all canceled or, or set virtual, right? We, we need to be able to, to actually gather to, together uh, to get work done. And so this idea of a biosecurity layer that basically allows us to get together safely, I think is going to be important both economically and socially. Uh, and we've been doing a, a lot in that area, um, particularly in the area of, of K-12 schools, which is one of the uh, groups we really want to have in person. Uh, so about 220,000 students and teachers a week now uh, are being tested by our program uh, to keep those schools open, including during the Omicron uh, wave that we're having now. So what does a biosecurity infrastructure layer actually look like? Is that you know everyone's yeah. testing status, you know, without having to ask or, you know, do a wonky yeah. test before you show up? So, so, yeah, I'll give you an analogy. So, number one, we're, we're figuring it out is the short answer. The, the, if you went all the way back to, like, the era of, like, cholera, for example, you know, when that was a, a pandemic disease, you had quarantines, you had people held at borders to see if they, you know, had the disease before being let in, cities closing and things like that. The right answer was to develop modern sanitation to make our water clean. Well, we're living in a world where, where effectively our air is not clean. We're not, we're not filtering out respiratory illnesses. We're spreading them, you know, sort of readily when we, when we gather together. And it's, we, we need to basically build general purpose tools like that. And that's going to be a mix of knowing where the virus is. So yeah, active, you know, low cost testing you saw today, the USPS will now send you four free at-home tests if you just click a, click a link on your, on your browser, you know, um, but also things like passive testing, filter the air in a room, ventilation, uh, collect it and sequence it to look for new variants. We have a project with the CDC uh, at major airports, including uh, SFO, to sequence um, positive tests at the border to look for new variants before they grow in the country. Those are the types of things that need to get built um, if we're going to have sort of modern sanitation uh, for respiratory illnesses. We're seeing the wave in New York City slowing down, cases and hospitalizations dropping. But Dr. Fauci said today we cannot claim victory just yet. And certainly there's still so many people who have yet to be vaccinated. If it's not going to be vaccines that stop the virus or, you know, everybody getting that shot, how can technology really help? How do you see technology really helping? Yeah, so so I think I think there's a couple pillars. So vaccines will be one, but they're not a, a silver bullet that takes away everything as we've seen. Rapid therapeutic development, 
right? So, so our, our normal timelines to develop therapeutics are not really what works on the timescale of a pandemic. So we need to be able to move faster on things like novel antibody therapies and things like that. And then the third big le leg of the stool, in my opinion, is think of it like a weather map, right? Like we know when a storm is, sh is showing up in New York City and we prepare for it, right? Well, you should know well ahead when a wave is coming and make certain interventions as a result. And you would do that if you had any idea of sort of where uh, respiratory illnesses are spreading. That That is a data and information problem. And it requires things like, you know, for example, looking in uh, uh, wastewater, right? So you can you can actually detect the levels uh, before, often before you start to see it showing up in hospitals, in wastewater systems, in cities and towns, even in buildings. Uh, that, that sort of infrastructure all needs to get built. That's, that's the missing piece. We're, we've been flying blind by and large and always trying to catch up uh, to the last wave effectively rather than getting ahead of the next one. That, that's what's getting built now with things like the rapid test program, sequencing at the borders, wastewater, and also what's happening in K-12 schools. Right, well, and then the next question is deployment. Uh, Ginkgo Bioworks CEO Jason Kelly, thank you for helping us think ahead. Appreciate you as always stopping by. Coming up, flight delays averted. AT&T and Verizon have agreed to new 5G limits in an effort to avoid flight delays around a dozen airports. We'll have more on that next. This is Bloomberg. AT&T and Verizon have agreed to temporarily delay switching on hundreds of 5G cell towers near U.S. airports. This following last-minute talks with government officials. This an effort to avoid flight disruptions that could have started this week. President Biden issued a statement highlighting that expanding 5G is a priority and that his team has been engaging nonstop with stakeholders to chart a path forward for 5G deployment and aviation to safely coexist until they close the remaining gap and reach a permanent workable solution. Joining me now to talk more about this, Bloomberg's Alan Levin. Alan, give us the latest. How did this detente, if you will, come together? So, uh, well, uh, there's nothing like a hard deadline to get people talking, I guess. Uh, the, the, the service, the new service is set to switch on tomorrow. And as uh, they were crunching numbers over the weekend, uh, airlines became concerned that there would be um, some considerable amount of flight disruptions, uh, including delays, possibly cancellations, et cetera. And uh, so th they called the wireless companies in, uh, or, or I should say the Federal Aviation Administration called these companies in, and uh, th they agreed to postpone uh, implementing 5G at least uh, around uh, – uh, airports. Now, you've told us these airwaves are more powerful. There are sort of unknown risks. Ultimately, how is that overcome? Is there a magic wand? Quickly, we've got about 30 seconds. It's a real tough question. Obviously, swapping in new equipment is the long-term solution. Uh, but I think um, it's going to take a lot of engineers, a lot of work to, to figure this out as we move along. All right, Bloomberg's Alan Levin. Question for passengers everywhere. Thank you for filling in some blanks there. Coming up, we're going to dive deeper into that massive Microsoft Activision deal and what it means for the gaming community and 
it's culture. That is next. This is Bloomberg. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. I want to get back to our top story. Microsoft buying Activision for $68.7 billion. It's got a lot of stocks on the move. Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow back with the latest. Ed, take yes. it away. We've spent most of the day, most of the show, talking about what it means for Microsoft. What does it mean for Activision Blizzard? What does it mean about future products? But the market is already talking much bigger picture than that. You look at some of the stock movers on Tuesday. Yes, Activision Blizzard, the main mover on the deal, of course. But Electronic Arts, almost 3%, pairing some of its gains towards the end of the session. Take-Two as well, up 1%, but had been much higher earlier in the session. And then you've got Roblox down 2.3%, which I'll come into in just a second. But Wall Street is already talking about what happens next. Will we see Apple or Amazon come in for one of these names, like Electronic Arts, like Take-Two, who themselves are involved in M&A with Zynga, right, albeit at a much smaller scale? There's discussion about this industry being ripe for consolidation and the next phase of the evolution in video gaming. But there's another point of conversation which we already touched on, the metaverse, right? That's why I bring up Roblox, because when we've been talking about the metaverse over the last 12 months, we have talked about Roblox as kind of an early leader in that, but Piper Sander out with a note saying Microsoft's acquiring of Activision is an arms race, a metaverse arms race. Can you imagine such a thing? A virtual arms race. Anyway, stick with me. Unity Software is a company down 5% almost on Tuesday, but it makes software for 3D platforms, right? to power the future metaverse. They're saying this stock is a buy, yet it's down on this news. Competition in the metaverse. Again, Meta, parent company of Facebook, also down. So Wall Street's really thinking about what comes next and where will we see more action in this space? All right. Big question indeed. Ed, thank you. I want to continue the conversation about what this deal could mean for the future of gaming. And I'm joined now by Brianna Wu. She is the executive director of the Rebellion Pack and a longtime advocate for women in gaming. Now, uh, Brianna, you fought a long time for inclusion in this industry since before Gamergate, when you yourself became a target. And you actually tweeted that you don't think this deal is good for the gaming community and, and workers. Why not? Well, first of all, I just want to apologize to your uh, listeners for my voice. I'm a little bit hoarse today. Um, I think it has the potential to be good. Uh, I think that we need to see what happens next. Um, you know, you're coming from Microsoft, which is a, a company with a very mixed treatment of women in the Xbox division. And basically, they're acquiring Activision Blizzard, which has had a very serious set of scandals uh, with uh, the way they've treated women, uh, to the point that the, the state of California is pursuing some, some rather shocking cases against them. So, um, you know, it looks like uh, their CEO, Bobby Kotick, is going to exit the company. I think most people that have looked at this story think this is a good uh, direction for it. 
but I think it's it's really the question is Microsoft going to be a good steward? Uh, are they going to be able to right the ship around? You know, video game companies are nothing without uh, the people that make them. Uh, the the simple fact is we're seeing a lot of turnover in the video game industry right now with working from home in the pandemic. Uh, people have options and where they go to work. So uh, I think it's really imperative that Microsoft right the ship so they can have the best people in the world making games for them. Now, you've had a lot of calls for, for Kodak to resign leading up to this, yes. including from employees themselves and it's it's not clear that he's necessarily going to leave the company after the deal is done if he did leave the company do you think that would solve the cultural issues or is this something that runs much deeper i think if you look at some of the wall street journal reporting of this issue uh it's very clear that culture comes from the top at these companies uh you know according to stories have come out. Uh, Kodak personally interceded with many of these sexual harassment investigations. So um, obviously the devil's in the details, but it's really hard to imagine uh, it not getting better. You know, uh, if you look at the Xbox division, uh, the Xbox division today is not what it was in 2014 and 2015. There are a lot more women in senior leadership. Uh, the stories I personally hear coming out of the Xbox division at Microsoft are much better these days. Uh, so um, personally, I think it's an encouraging sign. But as you said, uh, this also kind of puts these efforts to push Bobby Kotick out the door on hold as we kind of wait for this merger to go through. Satya Nadella used the word inclusion and, and you know, wanting the, the committing to the gaming industry, becoming more inclusive. You know, do you believe that something that Microsoft under his leadership can pull off, given how deep seated these issues are? But certainly Microsoft does have a track record of making big acquisitions work. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, the women I personally know that work at Microsoft, generally speaking, have good things to say. Um, I think when it comes to these kind of cultural issues, you need to pay attention to what people's track record is. What have they done? Have they been effective in solving these issues? I think Microsoft hasn't been perfect, but they've been pretty, pretty good overall. So um, I, I personally believe in this move. Additionally, um, there's also the issue of who gets the opportunity to be on the platform. If you look at Game Pass, um, this is the, the kind of center product for uh, Xbox. Uh, they have a real history of taking indie games, which disproportionately are made by women and people of color and LGBT people, and really putting them center stage. You have a game like Unpacked that came out last year, very small development team, uh, won many awards, it's just a stellar game. That's the kind of opportunity that gets the chance to be in front of more eyeballs with something like Game Pass. So well, I think that really could work very well. Speaking of eyeballs, I have to ask you about your efforts to get Gamergate to the small screen. Talk yes. to us about the series and you know what we'll learn about how much the gaming industry has and hasn't changed since then. Yes, um, yeah, we're, it was announced a few weeks ago. We are working with Hollywood to turn Gamergate into a television series. Um, if you really kind of draw the line between 
uh, the January 6th insurrection. There is a, a straight line to Gamergate and this culture of how we fight online, misinformation, and a lot of other factors about social media companies and their responsibility and kind of amplifying uh, these dark forces that have come to kind of poison uh, American culture. So that is the television show that we are we're working to put together. It is uh, it's a mix of fiction and uh, biographical information about what happened. We're really excited about that. Um, you know, the, the truth is the video game industry is a truly magical place to work. Um, we have our, our struggles, but I've personally never seen it represented uh, in a way that I felt was really accurate in film or television. So we're very excited to put that forward. All right. Looking forward to seeing that and appreciate you sharing the progress. Brianna Wu with Rebellion Pack, a longtime advocate in the gaming industry for unrepresented people in that industry. Appreciate you taking the time. Coming up. The NBA's Golden State Warriors distancing itself from a part owner after he made the claim that nobody cares about Uyghurs living in China under prosecution. His comments going viral, shooting the NBA into another China-related controversy. More on that next. This is Bloomberg. Nobody cares about what's happening to the Uyghurs, okay? You you bring it up because you really what? care, and I think what that's nice that you cares? care. The rest of us don't care. I'm just well, telling you a very care? hard. Wait, wait, I'm you're telling you, you personally don't care. I'm telling you a very hard, ugly truth, okay? Of all the things that I care about, yes, it is below my line. That comment made by Chamath Palihapitiya on the All In podcast over the weekend going viral. The billionaire venture capitalist is not only widely followed, but also a part owner of the Golden State Warriors NBA team. Following the backlash, Pali Hapatia, who was born in Sri Lanka, says he realizes he's, quote, lacking empathy and that as a refugee himself, human rights issues are very much part of his lived experience, adding that human rights matter, whether in China or the United States. The Warriors also put out a statement distancing themselves from Pali Hapatia, saying he's a limited investor and that his views don't reflect the organization. Uyghurs, the predominantly Muslim minority in China's western Xinjiang region, have faced persecution with as many as a million Uyghurs forced into internment camps and prisons. The U.S. government has declared it genocide. I'm joined now by Jamil Jaffer. He is the founder and executive director of the National Security Institute. And Jamil, there are business reasons and cybersecurity reasons that we need to care about this on top of the human rights issues, which of course are most important. What do you make of Chamas' comments here? Well, you know, it's obviously, unfortunately, a troubling reality of American uh, business elites today, right? We've seen uh, Chamas say what he said. Uh, we've seen the NBA push back on their own management, their own players, uh, when they've made comments about China's atrocious human rights, political, economic, social record. Uh, we've seen um, uh, the Intel CEO, right, walk back his comments. Um, and, you know, it's it's very troubling because what we've seen is China has put pressure on business leaders. And and I, I worry that Chuan's right, that a lot of people in the business community, the elite community, like to talk about it, but don't actually care because at the end of the day, their economic interests are not aligned. And that's a huge problem because at the end of the day, our nation's economic and technological 
and political and social interests are aligned with speaking out against these type of behaviors by the Chinese Communist Party. Well, and as you mentioned, the NBA's, uh, the warrior statement didn't go far enough, according to many folks. You mentioned uh, Pat Gelsinger and Intel, um, the back and forth they had uh, over this Uyghur issue. You know, the CEO was forced to apologize about the comments, but still didn't take a stand on China specifically. Why can companies take a stand, but not on China? You know, I think part of it, Emily, is that China and the Chinese Communist Party is putting pressure on these companies, saying, look, if you want to invest here, if you want Chinese works, if you want your products sold here or produced here, you're going to have to toe the party line. And the fact of the matter is that while in the short term, it may very well be in the economic interests of American companies or American CEOs or the MBA to walk back these comments, the truth of the matter is that the United States has been so productive and so successful as a nation and, and technology in the Silicon Valley being at the heart of that success is because we have the political and the economic freedoms we do. And the fact is that China, we are in a global competition with China. And the less we push back and the, le the more we allow their view of the world to dominate, the less likely we are to see the kind of innovation and success that, we, that has made America so, so amazing in the 200, years, 200 plus years that we've been around. What do you make of this happening against the backdrops of the Olympics about to start in Beijing, the U.S. doing this diplomatic boycott, which, you know, many have said just, just, just doesn't go far enough? You know, we're allowing our athletes to compete in these games, which is obviously good for the athletes, but it puts horrifically tough pressure on them because now they're the only ones who can really stand up for American values. Our companies are going to be there. They're going to be they're going to be sponsors of the Olympic Games. They're not speaking out. The U.S. government is engaged in a diplomatic boycott, but we haven't pulled our athletes. Now our athletes have to make a tough choice. Will they accept medals from the uh, the leaders of the Chinese Communist Party, or will they take a stand like Enos Cantor Freedom has? like uh, Peng Shui did in China against the, the abuses of the Chinese Communist Party. And if they do, what kind of penalty are they going to pay for that? And that's unfortunate. We put our athletes on this in this position, right, when our government hasn't had the guts to engage in a full boycott, and our companies are still being sponsors of these games. It's very troubling, Emily. Bloomberg is also reporting concerns over spying issues with athletes connecting to the Internet in China during the game. I mean, if you were an athlete, would you use your phone in China? How would you circumvent this? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I think the advice that's being given is the right one. Don't get on the Wi-Fi at the Olympic Village. Bring a burner phone. It obviously makes things difficult, you know, um, but I think that's probably the right advice because the chances are, if you bring up a device, you put it on the Wi-Fi, chances are you're going to go home with some amount of Chinese malware on your system and that's going to allow them to take data back. The Chinese have been very aggressive in collecting information, not just on the U.S. government, but against American private companies. The IP theft is rampant. And there is a desire on behalf of the Chinese government to get access to devices and identify what's on them and use it for intel collection and potential human, human intelligence exploitation. So it is a challenge. And the question becomes now, as an athlete, you know, how do I function effectively? I want to be on social media, but I've got this burner phone. How do I do that effectively? And that's the real challenge. At this point, you know, we, we've been seeing the threat level rise from state actors around the world, from Russia to China. You know, you know, talk to us about what you're sort of seeing in cyberspace leading up to these games, especially from nation states. What, what's the biggest concern? 
Yeah. Well, look, you know, I mean, people have often asked, who's the bigger threat, China or Russia, when it comes to cyber domain? I think long run, China's the bigger threat in the cyber domain because of their capabilities, the skills they're developing, and frankly, the amount of resources and manpower they get put into the problem. Today, however, I think Russia's the most dangerous party because they have demonstrated a willingness to go after critical infrastructure, both directly and through proxies. They're about to get in, engaged in what looks like a potential invasion of Ukraine. We're likely to push back economically. They may make a strategic or tactical miscalculation and engage in cyberspace in a way that is hugely problematic and requires us to respond. So I worry in the short term about Russian activity. Long run, China is clearly the bigger and more concerning threat. All right, Jamil Jaffer, Executive Director of the National Security Institute. Always appreciate your thoughts here on the show. Thanks for joining us. Coming up, VC investing, still lagging when it comes to women-founded startups. We're going to be joined by Lux Capital's Dina Shakir to talk about what needs to be done to level the playing field once and for all and what she thinks the top VC trends are for 2022. That's next. This is Bloomberg. The non-fungible token startup Adamoka brand attracted some big-name investors in a funding round that more than doubled its valuation of $5 billion. Soros Fund Management and the Winklevoss Twins venture capital firm were among those putting money in. Animoca and its subsidiaries offer NFTs and games tied to blockchain platforms. Well, female founders secured just 2% of venture capital in the United States in 2021. That is the smallest share since 2016. It's the second year in a row that women's percentage of VC funding shrank. Let's get an update on that and talk about what we should expect for 2022 with Lux Capital's Dina Shakir. Dina, good to have you back with us. So, look, do you have any idea why that number is shrinking? Great to be back, Emily. Thanks for having me. You know, we saw a record-breaking year in terms of dollars deployed to venture-backed companies in 2021, and that's the other recent uh, news that came as we wrapped up the year. Over $630 billion globally, $320 billion or so in the U.S. alone. And so while the raw number of dollars going into women-led companies is increasing, the percentage is, is lower than it has been, as you mentioned, since 2016. And interestingly, that number is actually different when you take into account male co-founders. And that number is also quite shocking if you consider the, the performance of women-led companies, both on the private side as well as the public side. There is data across the board showing higher revenue, better ROI for investors, shorter time to exit, and yet that is juxtaposed against a decline in terms of percentage of dollars being deployed. So there's certainly the glass half full part of the answer, which is that, well, overall uh, dollars are increasing, which means overall funding is increasing, but women are still getting a smaller piece of that overall pie. At this point, what needs to change after Me Too, after Silicon Valley's Me Too, after organizations like Always have come together and really sounded the alarm on this issue? What else can we do? 
You know, I think we are in a much better place in a lot of ways. There are organizations like All Raise and Him for Her that are focused on increasing the pool of capital, increasing the number of check writers. There is evidence that Kaufman Fellows and others have documented that shows a direct correlation between diverse cap tables and diverse companies uh, in terms of founders. And so I think the more of that um, that we see, the, the, the more that we'll see this number increasing. And there's also this sort of more, uh, you know, macro picture here. If we look at the, you know, the, the representation of women taking their companies public, the cover of Fortune magazine a few months ago that was talking about these newly minted billionaire founders, Whitney Wolf Heard uh, from Bumble. We see Ann Wojcicki taking her company public with 23andMe, uh, Anjali Sood from Vimeo. It is a very different picture than what we're used to seeing on the, on the uh, New York Stock exchange. And so I think that will have an impact. Representation matters across the board. My daughter just uh, just a few months ago asked me if one day boys can grow up to become VCs. And I think the more the next generation sees people like you and me, Emily, having these conversations, founding and funding these companies, the more we'll start to see the needle move over time. It's not a well, pipeline. And your job, of course, is trend spotting figuring out where to make that next big bet, what are the trends you see really taking hold in 2022? Yeah, it's well, it's been a very eventful 18 days uh, thus far already in 2022. Uh, not only did we wrap up a, you know, the massive year for the industry, but in the last few weeks alone, we've seen you know, double digit billions of dollars being announced to invest in, in, in more companies. At Lux, we continue to be excited about the potential of deep and groundbreaking scientific technology to move the needle. Health tech being an area that, you know, although there may be some ups and downs on the public side, we continue to be quite excited about um, in terms of the long-term view. Women's health is an area that you and I have spoken about when we announced our, our co-lead of uh, Maven Clinic Series D. There are still so many opportunities in this space. Not only are women represented, uh, you know, obviously in terms of the population numbers, but they also control 80% of the dollars in healthcare. And yet only 4% of dollars in terms of uh, R&D are actually being deployed towards funding solutions in women's health. We need better solutions for early detection of cancer. We need more innovation in the Medicaid space where nearly half of babies in the US are born. Uh, and uh, we are also excited about opportunities to bolster the infrastructure of digital health. Who will become the next Stripe or AWS to power the digital health revolution? So quick question, how do we ensure women have a seat at the table with these next big waves? I'm worried it's not happening in crypto. How do we make sure it happens with digital health and the metaverse, 30 seconds? Absolutely. Well, you know, I, last week we announced uh, an organization that I was a founding member of called My BFF, which uh, Britt Morin and Jamie Schmidt started, specifically focused on making sure women do have a seat at, at the table. We saw lots of conversation in the Twitterverse around Web 2 versus Web 3, and yet women were markedly absent from the conversation. 80% of creators right. in this space are male. And so I'm excited to see the incredible women coming to the table here in the metaverse, in the digital health world, and beyond. Lux Capital's Dina Shakir, great to have you back with us. Thank you. And that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Make sure you tune in tomorrow, day two of the Bloomberg Year Ahead Summit. We're going to be talking to CEOs changing the digital landscape. 
I'll be joined by the CEO of Crypto.com, Chris Marzalek. We'll ask him some of these questions. That is next. This is Bloomberg. Whatever you're funny, Peacock's got it exclusively. Stream classic sitcoms like The Office, Parks and Recreation, and Two and a Half Men. Plus, catch Peacock original comedies like AP Bio and Say by the Bell. For all your exclusive comedy faves, go to PeacockTV.com and get started. Elroy is the sort of person to search Google for Facebook as his primary means of navigating to Isla de Zuckerberg. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about the metaverse. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Red X, your source for the freshest daily cringe content anywhere on the internet. Promise, swearsies, it's just a fact, and it's totally science. Go ahead and look it up if you want. <laughs> Today we're diving back into r slash tales of neckbeards. It might be neckbeard stories. It actually comes from my personal subreddit, r slash Red X Reads. It was posted quite a few places, though, including r slash D&D Doge, which uh, I had no idea that that was a thing that existed. So maybe I should reach out to him and be like, hey, bro, you want to share some exclusive stories, making them not exclusive and thereby defeating the point, sort of, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> There's enough room on YouTube for everybody to live their dream, isn't there? I'm not even mad. I I'm not even jealous or anything like that. I promise. Uh, Swearsies, again, it, it is just a fact, probably. Maybe even science. <laughs> oh, we're jumping back into the Star Wars shenanigans today. It actually performed really well. The, the first video went up and I was uh, pretty shocked. It is a good replacement for Linkbeard, I do think. So we didn't get to meet the beard, the true beard, the last time around. But hopefully that will be remedied today. And uh, I guess we'll just get some plugs and disclaimers out of the way. Dive on into some neckbeard stories cringe and see what we got. Hey, also, one more thing. Uh, check out them podcasts. Hey, thanks. <laughs> Star Wars Shenanigans, Episode 2, Attack of the Lone. Tabletop gaming gone wrong. See, is is a Clone Wars reference, right? <laughs> Attack of the Clones? <laughs> All right, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I watched all the Star Wars movie. Uh, of course, this <laughs> gets kind of more into deep lore, which I get lost in, but maybe not forever. Maybe this will ignite a passion that I wasn't aware I wanted to delve into as deeply. Anyways, <laughs> welcome back, user the Irish Pirate 18. In hindsight, I really should have named part one, episode four, A Noob's Hope. <laughs> oh well. Hindsight's 2020 and all that, but part one being part four is kind of confusing, no? <laughs> I think the way you did it is perfect. That's fine. Also, I forgot to put force user into the title. It should have been attack of the lone force user, but much like a skydiver discovering that his chute is defective, it's too late now. <laughs> Yes, Reddit's greatest weakness. You cannot edit titles. <laughs> At least they have an edit button. It's not like Twitter, where I actually have to delete the whole thing and start all over. 
But yes, Red X liked my first story enough to take it to the big show. That's uh, his YouTube channel. <laughs> I mean, it's an upper, uh, medium, small size show, I guess. <laughs> but I do appreciate that. So I am nipping and tucking the second part to get ready for its close-up. Yeah, it is significantly shorter, I will say that. Last one was like 20 minute read time, this one's 13, so that is almost cut in half. But I'll still stretch the hell out of it by talking a whole heck of a lot, because I can't seem to help myself these days. <laughs> of course, we got the link to part one right there, and it is also in the comments and description if I did it correctly. Sometimes I don't. The TLDR version of it is that a player with zero tabletop, or really even human interaction, <laughs> experience, joined our game, and tried to sell our characters out to the Empire, only to realize the error of his ways, and to make a new character to give co-op gaming a second chance. I ended the last installment by saying the problems that we had with him were mild, compared to what we would deal with later. A person that saw himself as the one true made character of the campaign. Yeah, we had Hal, and he was inexperienced, you know? He's not really a that guy because he doesn't know any better. But this guy that's coming in, yeah, he's a that guy for sure. <laughs> I'm talking to OP on Discord about this stuff, and he still has uh, quite a bit of vitriol pent up for this beard. So I guess we'll see uh, just how bad this specimen can get. Law and Order SVU. Dun dun. In the world of tabletop RPGs, actions that make other players out of character miserable are considered especially heinous. At one local game shop, a newcomer ruined one group's gaming experience for months. These are their stories. Bum bum. <laughs> ah, it's too bad my voice can't go that deep. I took a good run at it, whatever. <laughs> I recently said in my first fat bottom beard post that I'm big on transparency and honesty, even if this makes me look as user that green bear from unfortunately fame put it like a slaughter bound rabies filled lamb. <laughs> what? <laughs> hashtag truth facts. Hashtag truth hurts. Hashtag oof of truth. Hashtag please don't old yell at me. Hashtag I swear I got better. Hashtag not like the old man in the bring out your dead scene from Monty Python in the Holy Grail. Hashtag he just got dead. <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> I would love to comment on anything that was just said, but I think it kind of flew over my head. Did I get whooshed just now? What, what am I supposed to... How am I supposed to respond? <laughs> okay, we're just going to move past it. That's what we're going to do. Roll with the punches. There's my uh, transparency and honesty for you. One thing about maintaining the spirit of honesty is saying that my memory is... Uh, what's the clinical term for it? Oh, yes. Uh, shit. <laughs> you see, my wife has an edetic auditory memory, whereas I'm on par with Dory. She could tell you the specials that a restaurant had from a date three nights ago. I can't even remember if I ate breakfast. <laughs> oh, bless the wives, dude. Always saving my bacon. 
Even last night, she's like, hey, make sure you get my episode up. And then I woke up in the morning and she's like, you didn't put the episode up at all. I'm like, okay, I tie a string around my finger so I can remember. So yes, there is a new video on Mr. and Mrs. Red X. Uh, I guess it'll be yesterday <laughs> if you're watching this now. Go over there, show wifey some loves. Lord knows she deserves it for shoring up my, my weaknesses all the time. So, um... OP's wife can also quote every single word that I said during any argument that we've ever had. <laughs> and I just stand there with a bewildered look of, well, that isn't fair. <laughs> My big stupid face. Oh, it's so relatable, man. Wifey brings up stuff from five, six years ago. She's like, you remember this? I'm like, yeah, you'll never let me forget. <laughs> Uh, uh, but we have a good time, though. It's all in good fun, uh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> have you ever had to defend against a five-year-ago version of yourself? <laughs> we are one and the same, OP. I feel a, a kinship forming here. You should try it sometime. It's a real hoot. <laughs> Uh, I also talked about it during my 10k subscriber special, just like, what a piece of dirt I was, how badly I treated her at the beginning of the relationship. For some reason, she stuck it out and, yeah, made me into a better person, although I did want to change, is the, the magic there. All I will really say on that is that I am so grateful that she's big on second chances. Whew. Why is her memory important to this story? Well, because I would come home from sessions and tell her what happened, and she remembers more about the conversations that she wasn't there for than the people who were there. <laughs> I know this for a fact, because when they hear her recollections, they say, Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> this is the reason that I record every D&D session that I have online, and in person, if I had them in person anymore. I tell myself that it's so I can make some content with it someday, but it's never gonna happen. <laughs> really, it's just a handy reference for everybody to remember what it was that happened. So, I haven't just been getting help from her, though. Since the last episode I wrote for Star Wars Shenanigans Saga, I got most of the rest of the group involved too. Yeah, and I've seen them down in the comments. Hello to you, friends! Hal and, uh, I believe Mac was down there as well, so... Official hellos, I don't know if I commented back, I've, I've been really bad about it lately, but I do read all the comments, I 100% assure you. <laughs> I would say... Most, because I would rather attempt a home vasectomy reversal with a rusty screwdriver and a YouTube tutorial than ever talk to Game Master or Elroy again. Game Master, who you may recall, considers Neverland Ranch to be goals. So he's in jail and I am not visiting him. Well, there's a, a bit of foreshadowing in it. I gotta be grateful for that, man. What's up with all these, these kitty-loving beards? I, I don't like it none too much. Nothing gets the impotent rage go flowing faster. Do people in jail know what he did? I hope he gets shanked in the chow line. <laughs> Elroy, on the other hand, could catch fire and I would hide my water bottle. Because I might get thirsty later. 
Yeah, standing next to the fire watching it burn, that makes a man thirsty indeed. <laughs> Anyways, the point that I was building up to before wandering off the path like Mr. Magoo is that quotes, while not 100% word for word, essentially just capture the essence of what the other person said. <laughs> oh, Irish pirate, you've done it again. <laughs> is that Mr. Magoo? <laughs> <laughs> something tells me it's close so yeah uh the others are just helping to make sure that i'm getting the little details right with all that said we'll get into the cast well it's good to know that we have a group of people writing this story eventually so we can confirm the details and whatnot hopefully it don't make things too muddled but uh i guess we'll see op that's me 30-year-old at the time gaming nerd working at a non-profit counseling center and adapting to married life. It's good. It's real nice. <laughs> I like it a lot. I don't understand the memes that are like, oh, I don't like my wife. Bleh. Boomer memes is what they are. <laughs> Since the last episode, I'd celebrated a birthday as well as the birth of a newborn daughter who would later go on to say things that would make Wednesday Adams go, girl. Are you okay? Examples. Her. Daddy, look. That tree's pretty. OP, looking at a blackened tree that must have entwalked its way out of Sleepy Hollow, only to rot away from the inside once it got here. Baby, that tree is dead. Her, giving me an almost offended look of indignation. Dead things can be pretty too. <laughs> she was five. <laughs> No kids say the darndest things. That's honestly one of the things that I love the most about having kids, is you get to see the world through their eyes. I just walk around outside, but my three-year-old is like, Daddy, look at the clouds! And I'm like, you're right, there are clouds up there. How long has it been since I just sat back and looked at some freaking clouds? <laughs> I love kids, man. Not in the way that GM does. Let's... let's <laughs> want to talk to you <laughs> let's be very clear on that uh not that it probably needed to be said anyways we also got mac who is op's best friend since second grade yeah he lived with his mom and loved anime but he had good hygiene and an absence of fedoras has kept him from fully falling into the category of neckbeard at least as far as i'm concerned he changes characters when a new idea strikes his fancy and while not exactly a rules lawyer, he certainly has an interest in keeping things fair and balanced. Uh, Thanos sands the whole genocide thing. <laughs> he could be a beard light. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I think uh, most of the people that I tend to kick it with are. <laughs> if you can't talk about nerd stuff, then really we don't have that much to say to each other. What, are you gonna talk about cars? <laughs> yeah, I have one. Okay, that's it. <laughs> what else do you want me to say? We also got Chainsmoker, friendly neighborhood murder hobo, best friend since high school with both Peacekeeper and the Philip Morris Company. <laughs> he should invest, although I don't know if he'll stick around long enough to collect if he's really chainsmoking like that. His voice sounded like he gargled with gravel and broken glass every morning, and if he ever opened his own fragrance line, it would be Eau du Ashtray. <laughs> Game-wise, if it didn't involve combat, then it didn't hold his interest for very long. At least he ain't got that bourgeois beard fragrance. 
what was that? Oh, despondency or something like that. <laughs> I guess he is a bit despondent if it isn't involving combat. But yeah, to each their own. I guess if everybody else is cool with it, then I shouldn't have too much to say. Peacekeeper is Chainsmoker's best friend forever and one of the nicest, most patient people that I've ever met. Hanging out with this guy would make you look in the mirror afterwards and ask yourself, why are you such an asshole? <laughs> I didn't even have to hang out with him. <laughs> this is just part of my morning routine at this point. Hal is socially awkward, 20-ish years old, who had also celebrated a birthday since the last episode. He was still learning how to people and how to play. If social interactions were a car, he would have wrapped it around a tree the first time he played with us, but we were able to rebuild him. Better, faster, stronger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should have made the joke. OP makes it right after. We made him faster, stronger, or, or, you know, capable of playing nice with others. And what else could you really ask for? GM, uh, not the GM that we deserved, but I guess he was the GM that we settled for. Nothing less than a scumbag, as we would later find out. This dude liked him young. Oh, God. Makes me fucking sense chills up my spine, dude. I hate it. Hey, Randy. What you doing? Oh, hey, Dave. I'm just making a list of things that make me feel really, really good. Wearing Bomba socks. Trust me, that's number one on my list. Bomba socks feel so good because we use the smartest design and best materials, making them the most comfortable socks ever. Plus, because socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, we donate a pair for every pair purchased, and that feels pretty good, too. To shop Bombas or learn more about how your purchase supports those experiencing homelessness, go to bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first purchase. He thought starving the party for XP would uh, build character. That's the opposite of what builds character, friend. <laughs> and he had a very hands-off policy when it came to party conflict. If being a piece of crap was an Olympic sport, then this gem of a human being would be silver medal at worst. At least behind the eponymous Unfortunookie. Oh, don't forget Naruto headband. GM just got knocked down to bronze. Although, Unfortunookie and Naruto headband never came at kids, so... I'm going to give GM the gold, for sure. Let him and Linkbeard fight it out. I hope they're cellmates. <laughs> they kill each other. Last time I said I had just found out prior to writing the story that he had been up to some shady business with minors. Well, five minutes ago, as I was editing this, I found out via Mac that he is sitting in a jail cell right now on a $5 million secure bond facing 22, wait, no, 33 charges of indecent liberties with a minor. Jesus. One of those charges may or may n Okay, no, it's definitely for stuff with his own daughter and possibly his granddaughter. Oh, oh God, we're not even into the story yet. Oh, I feel dirty. I'm gonna go have a shower right now. <sighs> okay, I'm back from the shower. I wasn't able to wash the filth away. Oh, God. What a deplorable human being. He's worse than Linkbeard. I 100% I guarantee. So, yeah. Have fun tossing that one around the old brain pan. God knows I do. Dry heave. 
Oh, God, dude. If only there was a way to unsee, to unknow. I would eternal sunshine of the spotless mind this right out of my freaking head right now. Ugh. How could anybody be worse? How? Elroy's worse than this guy? I, I highly doubt it. Ugh. Introducing also Scotty, a good friend of mine from college that had just moved to the area. So proud of his Scottish heritage, you would think that he had just taken the haggis boat to Ellis Island. <laughs> it was a top-notch friend that would give you the shirt off his back, but not his kilt. Because no one wants an indecent exposure charge on their record, don't you know? Standard issue, gentle giant. His temper had a long fuse. But once it runs out, Ah, laddie, you best run for the hills for a dunes a pint and slaps your wee ass back to Edinburgh on back. That's terrible. <laughs> Elroy, I try my best not to categorize people before I get a chance to know them. But this dude made it two steps past our introduction before sauntering his way over to the assholes only zone like he owned the place. The words I find most apt to describe him can't even be used in polite society. To this day, I can sum up my feelings for him in one finger. Hint, it's not my thumb. It's your ring finger, bro. You want to marry him. <laughs> if you like him so much, why don't you marry him? <laughs> All right, then. I will. <laughs> uh, oh, God. I guess I'll find out how he's worse than GM, if he is. GM just kept his activities hidden better, I guess, but he's definitely the worst of these two. At least out of the gate. I don't know how Elroy's gonna top that one unless he killed somebody in cold blood. As for the characters that these people play, well, they're not appearing in this installment. In future chapters, I'll just tack them under their respective players for the sake of simplicity. I do want to note a couple of things here, though. What is Chafari Sabson? Well, it's the full name of our misanthropic medical man, Faris. Shis' names are broken into three parts, separated by apostrophes. It goes family name, given name, and then clan, profession, or second family name. So where does Faris come from? Using a Chis's full name in conversation would be exhausting, so they're often referred to by a core name, which consists of the last letters of their family name, the full given name, and the first letters of the third name. Hence, Chafaris... Absin becomes Faris. Did I call him Ferris in the other episode? I don't know. Now it sounds better to go Faris. <laughs> now, as to Max's generic character from part one, yeah, that's a fair assessment. <laughs> Goatly was a great value brand character. The reason was that Peacekeeper and Chainsmoker were also new to tabletop RPGs when they started, and Mac didn't want to play someone that would outshine them. He wanted to give them an open platform to take the stage. The end result was having a character that was a Sir Yes Sir type that didn't really want to lead the others and a pair of novices that didn't know how to lead, hence why nobody wanted to take the reins, at least until OP showed up. But that is good to know, you know, at least I know that Mac is a team player. Letting other people shine is always something that I worry about with my tabletops, especially the one in the Discord. I'm like, <laughs> did I step on anybody's toes? Because I know I can be kind of a, a boisterous personality, but 
I too want everybody to get a chance to shine. So could Mac have made the character more interesting than a phone book? Absolutely. But he thought that being generic would be the right thing to do for the other players. It was the bad result of a good intention. You know, like when a priest marries a couple of teenagers behind their parents' back. Priests shouldn't marry teenagers. Oh, you mean the teenagers are getting married. Okay, I'm tracking. <laughs> and then the priest gives one some roofies to like knock herself out so everybody thinks she's dead, but doesn't tell her new husband so he ends up popping some cyanide over her corpse, leaving her to wake up next to him and stab herself out of grief. Yeah, I'm cultured. I know exactly what play you're referencing. I love Macbeth too. <laughs> you shouldn't say Macbeth. This channel's kind of a performance thing, so maybe saying Macbeth is bad. I said it three times. I'm going to stop now. Let's get into the story. <laughs> it had been a few months or so since Hal had joined the party with all the grace of a greased up pole dancer after two hits of acid and a bout of vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> with the fresh addition of Scotty, our group was capable of handling most missions with ease. By this point, we were working for the Rebel Alliance, and they sent us on whatever odd jobs the GM could find the pre-made modules for. <laughs> our little group lived in harmony. And then, everything changed when Elroy attacked, I mean joined. <laughs> I worked at the counseling center down the street from the game store, so I was usually the second person to arrive after the game master himself. One night, I made my way to our usual table and I saw a new person sitting with GM. Neither tall nor short, fat nor thin, fair nor grotesque. He literally could not look less memorable appearance-wise if I'd been sipping a Cosby Colada upon meeting him. <laughs> Uh, Cosby Colada! Oh, yeah. I like Jello pudding, but I'm gonna get the, the real sweet stuff tonight. <laughs> I remember that he had greasy, brownish blonde hair and a patchy swath of facial hair, but apart from that, he could basically blend into a crowd of one. <laughs> he was hunched over a character sheet while GM gave a predatorial leer at the back of his head. Okay, really, I made that last part up. I don't remember what GM was really doing, probably looking at some stuff on his phone that would make the FBI a tidbit miffed. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. At Enterprise, we know the time is coming for us to get out and go again, to visit all the places we didn't know meant so much but we're all still going at our own speed. With Enterprise, you get the peace of mind of our complete clean pledge, curbside rentals, and low-touch transactions. As more and more people hit the road, we're going the extra mile to help. Connecting you to all the places you love. Enterprise. Ugh. I presume that nobody knew about this at the time because he hasn't been shot in the face yet, right? That would be my first move. <laughs> the next time we met, I would bring a gun. Whew. I took my place at the table, and the slimy scalp newcomer sat up, revealing a shirt that proclaimed in bold pink letters that he was a Brody for life. 
Oh, bronies, it's been a while. Welcome back to the full. <laughs> I'm not one to judge people for their choice of entertainment, mind you. To clarify, I think the Super Mario Bros. 93 movie was so bad that it looped back around to being good. Well, you're wrong on that, <laughs> but I forgives you. That type of cinematic taste is usually mock-worthy, so if I should die before I wake, I pray you wipe my Netflix slate. <laughs> At least you weren't watching cuties like the GM was. Oh, don't go there. <laughs> I'm like, I wish OP wouldn't bring it up, and then I keep looping back to it too, so uh, hopefully from this point on we could just let it drop. <laughs> but I don't think that's gonna happen. I'm sorry, Lord. Where was I? Ah, oh, yes. Elroy the Brony. This story takes place before I even knew about bronies, so I was confused at the very least. Elroy. Hey, man. OP. Um, hi. Elroy. Are you in this campaign? Internal sarcasm. No! I came over to tip an invisible fedora to the slick-haired fair lord I spotted from across the crowded store. Oh, be still, my heart. <laughs> but instead, OP just says, uh, yeah, GM. This is the guy that plays Ferris. Elroy with a smug, rat-faced grin. Oh, the GM said that you're the group's current leader. The word current should have been a tip-off, but I was tired from work and hyper-focused on decrypting the meaning of that weird-ass shirt. <laughs> OP, uh, kinda? I just make strongly worded suggestions. Here lately, Nala's been calling more shots than me, but we don't really have a leader, and I'm going to assume Nala is Scotty's character since we missed the character descriptions for this episode. Elroy snorts. <laughs> you do now. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, joyous day. We humble plebs have been in want of a strong, capable leader. Hal needs a father figure. And the rest of us be not but placeholders unworthy of the throne. But how best to express my exuberance? Yeah, neat. <laughs> this dude really did show up and he's like, I'm taking over. How about you pump the brakes a little bit, Sparky? Like, uh, I don't know how you decided to go through with the game even after meeting this guy. It's really easy to walk away from a campaign. At least for me. No D&D &D is better than bad D&D. &D. I got better stuff to do with my time than fight about who's steering the ship with a neckbeard. I tried my best to convey how delighted I was to be met with snide presumption before I even had a chance to sit down. Alas, I think he detected the fact that I was as full of shit as the clogged toilet at an all-you-can-eat burrito barn. <laughs> Somebody did the waffle stomp it down. <laughs> There's a term for bringing things up in conversation for the sole purpose of pissing an outsider off, but I can't remember it. Or maybe there isn't one, and there just should be. Probably something German. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Anyone? No? <laughs> okay, then. Are we referring to Schadenfrade? 
That's what this whole channel's built on. <laughs> I love it. Well, this was that. Elroy turned to ask GM a question that was meant entirely for me. Elroy to GM. Eh, how do we determine which force powers I have? Oh, God, if I didn't quit before. <laughs> no, no. Maybe it really wasn't meant for you, you might say. Maybe he was genuinely asking. Well, he had two rule books in front of him with entire chapters dedicated to the character making process. So it was either his smug way of saying, I used the force and you can't. Or Elroy is the sort of person to search Google for Facebook as his primary means of navigating to Isla de Zuckerberg. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about the metaverse. That is to say, very roundabout, I do suppose. You'll get there, but indeed, what is the point? OP, wait, what? Elroy with a greasy grin. You can't tell anyone about this when we start. <laughs> that would be metagaming. Yeah, <laughs> telling people would be metagaming. <laughs> Having the powers is definitely not metagaming. I'm a level one nobody with mastery of the force. Oh my god, I want to die already. <laughs> I turned to GM with a touch of disbelief and irritation coloring my tone. OP, you told the rest of us that we couldn't play force-sensitive characters. GM, well, the rules in the rulebook weren't very clear, and I was still learning the basics of this system. Force and Destiny just came out, though. That book explains things a bit better. Elroy has a copy, so... OP, does the store have any? Elroy smugly. <laughs> I just bought the last one. Would you be so kind as to share with the class? Of course he won't. <laughs> Around this time, Mac showed up to the table while his mom found her way to the couch in the background, crochet needles in hand, and a Mary Poppins-esque bag of yarn at her feet. I filled him in on the situation. He looked about as annoyed as I felt. Mac's mom really drove him to the D&D session and chilled out there the whole time? God, I love that. I mean... It's sort of sad when you think about it too much. <laughs> but on the surface, like, props to the mom supporting what your kid loves to do, even if it isn't something that's uh, all that constructive in the grand scheme of things. Mac? So what? He just said he wanted to be a Jedi and you let him? Elroy scoffed with the indignation of a Karen having her expired coupons rejected. Elroy? <laughs> no, I rolled for it on a D100, and this campaign takes place during the Galactic Civil War, so actually, I can't be a Jedi because they're all dead. OP, yeah, we know the timeline. We've been playing this campaign for months, and the Jedi aren't all dead. Elroy, uh, yes, they are. OP, tell that to Yoda. <laughs> yeah, but he's like one of the last of the last, right? He only made it because he's chilling in a swamp on Dagobah. 
Elroy just rolls his eyes. Hey, well, he doesn't count. He was the only one. Mac, we never got a clear idea of what year this is, so Obi-Wan could still be alive too. Elroy, okay, but other than them. OP, canon. <laughs> Elroy, he was just a Padawan. Mac, Ahsoka. Elroy, she was cast out. Mac, there are others in the comics and the novels. Elroy, can you name them? Mac, no, but I can go on Wikipedia and Elroy scoffs. <laughs> Wikipedia? A real fan would know without having to look it up. How about Beldorian, who is like a, a hut Jedi that I found out about when I was researching for the last thumbnail? Oh boy, this Star Wars stuff gets me excited. <laughs> he couldn't see that curveball coming, I'll tell you that. But indeed, it was at this time that I noticed something about Elroy's face. It had a remarkably punchable quality to it. <laughs> uh, but since I prefer sarcasm to violence, I stayed true to my nature. This guy could get away with any crime. The cops would be like, what do you look like? I don't know, super generic and ultra punchable. <laughs> That's all I know. And he's wearing a t-shirt that says something about Brody's, whatever the hell that is. OP turns to Mac. Whoa, looks like we're just fake fans, man. <laughs> Mac. Yeah, maybe we should just quit and go home. GM. Oh, come on. <laughs> we're all friends here. We? We're not. <laughs> uh, yep, that's been made exceedingly obvious. There's a reason that this dude does not have another group that he's involved with. He's probably been kicked out of so many groups before, and I can only hope that this is another one of them's, but I'm not going to let him leave without a little bit of karmic justice. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you in the ass and all that. Elroy backpedals a bit and says, hey, Yeah, don't take it so personally. <laughs> it's just science fiction. No, you. <laughs> I'd like to say that I do avoid pointless arguments, but I would be setting myself up for a pants-on-fire situation. I have a bad habit of attacking trolls by analyzing them and sharing my observations and theories for all to see, I would say. I got into it with a GTA hacker one time. Scotty and I were minding our own business, stealing supplies for our thriving meth lab, when this dude started terrorizing everyone on the server. I suggested that he had to use modding tools because he felt powerless in real life, and he needed godlike immunity online to escape the crushing feelings of real-world worthlessness. <laughs> His well-reasoned and articulate rebuttal of my theory came in the form of troll. Fuck you! OP, be honest. Which one of your parents do you think is more disappointed in the way that you turned out? <laughs> troll drops a tank on me. OP, so your dad then? <laughs> and then the troll rage quits. <laughs> Ah, uh, oh, that is the best kind of savagery. Scotty, Jesus Christ, dude, aren't you supposed to use that skill set to help people? Well, I usually do. If you're having a rough time and see me on Discord, hit me up. 
I'd be happy to let you vent and talk to you for a little while, but that courtesy is not extended to trolls and bullies, though. I have an ironclad policy of non-engagement. If a hacker hops on the server or something, I'd, I'd switch my server. I don't care. <laughs> but your way is definitely a bit more proactive and a uh, hell of a lot more savage, so props. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back to the story and my pointless argument. OP, it's a space fantasy, not sci-fi. Ah, boy, <laughs> Elroy. Uh, no, it's definitely sci-fi. I leaned back in my chair and changed into my therapist voice. Slow, calm, even, and in this case, maybe just a little bit condescending. Sue me, I was irritated. OP, Oh? How so? Elroy? It has robots and stuff. That's sci-fi. OP? D&D has warforged, sentient mechanical beings. That doesn't make it sci-fi. Elroy? Robots run on electronics and stuff. They're engineered. Warforged have souls and are powered by magic. OP? Magic is really just a science that we don't understand yet. Elroy? What? Who says who? OP? Arthur C. Clarke? Famous sci-fi author? Elroy? GM! Is this sci-fi or, or fantasy campaign? Yes, both. Either or. Who cares? <laughs> Sit down. Stop asking me weird questions. GM was, at this point... Keenly interested in the dirt under his fingernails or something in a book. I don't remember what he was doing, but I know what he wasn't doing, and that was refereeing. He kind of gave a non-committal GM. It's whatever kind of campaign the party makes it. Elroy. It's sci-fi. Star Wars is sci-fi. Everybody knows that. OP. A couple of thousand years ago, everybody knew that the world was flat. But that doesn't make that true either. That's right, I said it! Come at me, flat earthers! Hi, I'm Randy and this is Dave. We're the founders of Bombas, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. So comfortable, we sold and donated millions of pairs. To sell and donate a lot of socks, we became obsessed with comfort. We reinvented the sock from the ground up, adding comfort innovations along the way. It worked. People tried them, loved them, told their friends about them. Helping us sell and donate millions of pairs. Try them now at bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash comfy. I don't think they have anything to come at you with. <laughs> Ad hominem? Okay, yeah. That's all I've ever seen from the Flat Earth community. You're dumb if you don't believe this. <laughs> okay? I'd rather be dumb to you than dumb to everybody else. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I didn't know anything about Elroy's past. I still don't. But he struck me as an only child that was accustomed to being given his way. He seemed annoyed that someone dared to question him. Maybe he was homeschooled. Perhaps he was hatched in a lab. <laughs> he scoffed at my argument and sarcastically asked, Elroy, Okay then, what makes it fantasy? OP, it's about epic heroes, magic powers, and fantastical creatures. A true sci-fi story would pay much more attention to the science. 
Star Wars doesn't ever really explain the science behind their technology. And then there's the Force. Yeah, midichlorians, bro. <laughs> we retconned the hell out of that one. <laughs> Elroy, yeah. What's they explained through science? It's not magic. It's the result of midichlorians. <laughs> uh, well, why do I feel so terrible that I know that? OP? Yeah, but how does that even work? If they're living creatures, what do they consume to stay alive? How do they interact with a person's blood cells? Are they prone to any kind of diseases? Can a person lose the force by getting sick? How does a midichlorian count affect the strength of a person's force powers? Elroy, you don't need to know how science works for it to be science. OP, well, the same thing can be said about magic. Saying, uh, the force works because of midichlorians is just like saying, because magic, that's why. That's what makes Star Wars a space fantasy. It doesn't rely on science. It relies on the mythical, mystical, and supernatural. Stuff like space wizards with magic swords. Well, I had no opinion on this previously, but you talked me around, OP. Really, if I had to give it a label, I'd say it's a pretty campy space opera. <laughs> Ignore all the bells and whistles. It's an opera at its core. Elroy scoffs. <laughs> and what makes you such an expert? Mac? Oh, he's got a degree in creative writing. That's right. I called it a useless degree before, but it gave me an edge in a meaningless argument. Hey, winning! <laughs> it also helped me to put this story into words. Sarcastic words, colorful words, and sometimes hateful words. But you're reading or listening to them, and we are a pretty good ways into this post, so I must be doing something right. Yes, your writing is definitely on par. My narration, uh, I don't want to toot my own horn, that's fine. <laughs> I'm here too, I'm but a humble vessel. Elroy, <laughs> whatever. And then he smugly says, I guess I'll just play my character like a space wizard then. Mac to GM. So, when do the rest of us get to roll? GM. For what? Mac. To see if we're force sensitive. Elroy. You have to roll for that when you make your character. You can't just discover that you have powers later on in life. Actually, that's exactly how most people discover it. Unless you like what? Matilda? That's the only one. <laughs> That <laughs> discovered it when she's still a child, right? Maybe Jack-Jack from The Incredibles? <laughs> There's probably a bunch more, but I would say most people that have a superpower discovered it at a later point in their lives. Oh, oh yeah, Superman! Uh, of course. <laughs> but yeah, my point being that, uh, Elroy's dumb. <laughs> OP. Uh, why can't you discover it later in life? That's exactly what Luke did. Mac. <laughs> and Anakin. OP. And Ezra. GM. Well, that is true. Mac getting his percentile die out. Great. What do we need to roll? Elroy. If their characters don't know that they have powers yet, 
wouldn't that mean it's less likely that they're sensitive? Like, I rolled for mine when I made the character, so it's like I was strong enough to know early on. They shouldn't have the same chance of being Force-sensitive, since they don't know that they have powers yet. Bro, I'm so out of this game already. How could you possibly continue after this? And GM is letting this dude drive the ship? What the actual hell is happening? No, no. I'm not playing. <laughs> I'm going home. But OP doesn't follow my ironclad contract of non-engagement. Instead, he tries to argue his case and says, No way. We should have just as much of a chance as you did. Mac to GM in a tone that said, Hello, do you hear me? Uh, what do we need to roll? GM. I mean, Elroy, roll above a 75. Elroy. But if you think about it, you're still learning the rules for how the force works. How hard is it going to be if you have a whole party full of people that have different powers? Yeah, we should just have this one guy that has all the powers. This is main character syndrome so hard. Just walk away. Walk away now. It's going to save you a lot of heartache. But OP does not. The GM agrees with Elroy for some reason, saying, uh, True. By this point, GM could probably tell that Mac and I were getting irritated. I was making no effort to try and conceal it. GM, How about this? Everyone else has a 10% chance, but if they don't succeed, I'll give them a 25 experience. <laughs> 25 experience was about as much as we would normally get over the span of five weeks. Oh, God. <laughs> Since GM thought the rulebook's recommended amount was about three times too much, even if he gave us 50, it would not balance out the power difference, but I was just too annoyed to argue. We rolled. We failed. Elroy looked happier than a hemp enthusiast boarding a flight to Amsterdam. Bro, this is a mess already. It's time to leave. Exit, stage left. <laughs> Chainsmoker showed up eventually, a thick aura of nicotine preceding his arrival. He didn't even care about the force and just wanted the experience. <laughs> like a G. Whatever, keep your stupid force powers. I decided to go get something to eat while we waited for the others, partly because I usually didn't eat lunch on game days, but... Mostly because I needed to put some distance between myself and Elroy before I completely lost my shit like a septic truck driver that forgot where he parked. <laughs> That's a lot of shit. I was joined by unexpected company while I waited in line. Hal. Hey, OP. OP. Sup, Hal? When did you get here? Hal. Just a few minutes ago. Peacekeeper picked me up from work. I can't drive right now. OP, drinking during the day. Shame on you, <laughs> Hal. No, it's, well, it's nothing. I would later find out that it was, in fact, something. OP, uh, well, I'm here if you need to talk. I do it for a living. Hal, I appreciate it, but no. 
Hmm, Hal is being slippery. The plot thickens. Also, I think it's nice of OP to offer free therapy to people, but charge them. <laughs> if you're good at something, never do it for free. Them's just the rules of the road. The lady at the register took my order. I offered to get something for Hal. He didn't want anything. My dumbass was so irritated with Elroy that I wasn't picking up on the clues that would slap me in the face later on. Hal said he wasn't hungry. He just needed a break from the new guy. Hal could now read people. He was learning. So if the overwhelming majority are not happy with this setup, why don't they just abandon the table? I guess because they need the GM. But if they all abandon the table, then the GM will do what it takes to get them back. Which means kicking out Elroy. That should have been the true master plan. What kind of master plan is Grin and Barrett? <laughs> no, I'm not doing any of that. Anyways, we went back to the game store to settle in for what looked like it was going to be a very long night. Mac was in line to get chips, and Peacekeeper was watching some gaming video that Chainsmoker had pulled up on his phone. Scotty had also arrived at some point during my trek to and from the Chinese restaurant. He pulled out his laptop and character sheets, and he was scrolling through what looked like the PDF of a rulebook. Hi, I'm Randy, and this is Dave. We're the founders of Bombas, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. So comfortable, we sold and donated millions of pairs. To sell and donate a lot of socks, we became obsessed with comfort. We reinvented the sock from the ground up, adding comfort innovations along the way. It worked. People tried them, loved them, told their friends about them. Helping us sell and donate millions of pairs. Try them now at bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash comfy. Elroy sat next to him with an expression of someone adapting to a lemon-only diet. <laughs> OP, hey, Scotty, what's up? Scotty, not much, brother. I'm trying to see how my new force powers work. <laughs> Got him, coach. Elroy's scowl made sense now. Pissant was not the only space wizard at the table. And I suppose we are ending this tale with a, a parody song, which is pretty good. I really appreciate that the parodies is included as such. It adds a certain je ne sais quoi. And this is Tommy James and the Shondells' I Think We're Alone Now, which I'll probably have to listen to because I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> so, uh, warning in advance. Elroy's a tool. Didn't take long for me to see it. He grumbles, not cool. When Mac and I pull our dice out, rolling out for powers like him. Even though the odds we have are slim. Hoping one of us rolls high enough And when I get back with my dinner I can see we've got a winner And I learn the prick's not alone now Scotty's dice came up with a 97 And poor Elroy moans now His pained expression makes me feel like I'm in heaven <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of a bop, man Late 1960s, early 1970s, don't sleep on that music, all right? It wasn't all dad rock coming out around that time. <laughs> we got uh, Tommy James and the Shondells. I would try and remember that, but the name's a little bit unwieldy, so I make no promises. <laughs> but I do thank you for sharing, Irish Pirate. 
And with that, thank you for joining me again. I know there really wasn't a whole lot that happened this time event-wise, but yeah, this was my introduction to Elroy. This is the first impression that he left. This was how he, a real-life person with the autonomy to breathe unassisted and walk around like regular people, chose to conduct himself around complete strangers. <laughs> like I said, this is why he didn't have a group already. Trust me when I say that it was all downhill from here. I have to hope beyond hope that him and Scotty get into it and Scotty just like molly wallops him through the back of the, the game store or whatever. <laughs> that would be beautiful. As for Hal, I don't really want to spoil anything, but things get pretty dark for him before they get better. I didn't find out what was going on until a couple of weeks after meeting Elroy, so... I'll hold off until we get to that point of the timeline. Until next time, I hope the universe doesn't kick you in the shins or give you a wedgie. <laughs> January, February on YouTube is always kind of a kick in the shins. Ad rates drop through the floor. <laughs> We're just kind of scraping by, but at least we got some good stories to do it with, you know? As I made very clear during the story, I would not have put up with any of this at all, ever. I would have walked away from the game group at this point. They're like, look, we don't vibe. I only want to play with people that I trust 100%. No campaign is much better than bad campaign. And you can mark my words on that. You think I don't have like a ton of other stuff that I could be doing instead of sitting here arguing about space wizards? <laughs> we could chat about space wizards if we're on the same side. But if you're really adamant on having an argument with me, it's not going to happen. I'll just say, you know what, you're right, bro. I don't actually care that much. You think whatever you need to think in your tiny little pea brain. <laughs> but uh, OP's got a different approach. And I do like the people that push back on beards. Big props, big props. I hope that you guys enjoyed the episode. I hope that you guys will like, comment, and or subscribe as well. If you did, maybe share the video around. It's definitely heating up around here. I'm super interested to see what happens with Elroy. Also, GM and his uh, hidden proclivities. Good God, I hope he bites a bullet for that one. Although he is in prison, so more likely shanked in the shower. I'm good either way. <laughs> I hope that he gets punished harshly. But yeah, I also wanted to say we also got a bunch of links in the description, you know, podcasts. I plugged those at the beginning. But playlists, if you're looking for a different flavor from the channel, we also got all kinds of plugs. Teespring, if you're trying to rock the merch. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Red X, that's mine and my wife's channel. I think I plugged that as well. Ooh, we've also got my Amazon affiliate link, which currently goes to my microphone. But if you click on through, buy anything else on Amazon, I get like a little kickback from them, which is quite a helpful thing. Additionally, we've got my Twitter, Discord, Facebook, you know, all that good stuff, the social medias, as well as my gorgeous, wonderful, beautiful, generous patrons, and I would like to thank them as I do every episode, so thank you, Jerry, Jerry Much, Robert Waits, Camille, Sarah, Jarhead, Jerry, Oorah, Logan Wolf, River Jerry, Conrad Inge, hello, Mr. Red X, sir, I'm still in the secure containment unit at Red X Industries, I have two negative tests, but they won't let me leave. Welcome to the new normal. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is how it has to be. <laughs> Captain Cloud, Jerry, Hong Kong, <laughs> Aaron W. 
Twisted Child, Sarawano Edge, Cinnamon Susie, For Old Lang Syne, Fire Drake, Giggle Jerry, Hee Hee, Ayurari, Gnob, Yajir, Do You Fit You Dump, Tip Tat. I know it's the most different Jerry spelling backwards, but isn't it more fun to say it or try say it? <laughs> we also got Jari the Pirate, R. Silent Revolver, the original Jerry, Jerish Kitsune, <laughs> Matthew Simmons, Satori, 211 Jerry, the return of Jerry, a jury of jubilantly juggling Jerry. <laughs> oh God, what are you doing to me? And a Justy Jargonia Jerry, Alunia, Althea, Ananaki, Assassin Pug Jerry, Bang Bang, Atheist Jerry, he's so euphoric. <laughs> Aurora Wildheart, Bailey Joy, Bearded Jerry, watch out for that guy. Bitch Gremlin, Blade the Hero, Blame is Fish, Blip Bloop Jerry, Blue Dubs, <laughs> Commander J Tank, I'm losing it already. Dennis Dayton, Dinosaur Nightlight, Disposable Waifu, Dr. Larks, Welcome to the Fold, Emergent Jewel, Aaron Lennox, Frozen Studio, Gypsy, Hadrian BR, Have a Minty New Year's Jerry's, that's right, Super Fresh, Ultra Fresh. I'm Slim Jerry, yes, I'm the real Jerry. All you want the Slim Jerry's are just stimulating. We don't have any other Slim Jerry's. <laughs> Irish Pirate, top of the morning to ya. <laughs> and to you, friend. Itchy Nuts, just scratch it, bro. A pimp named Jay Crisp, yes, you have to say the whole thing. J.M. Coon, Jennifer Schaefer, Jerismus Barbatus Cervicus. That's like Jerry with a barbed cervix. <laughs> My Latin is poor. <laughs> Uh, Jerry Blacktail, Jerry Nice, Jerry Evil, Jerry the Small Jerry to the other Jerry's, Jerry the Outlaw Mother Trucker, honk honk, Jerry was a race car driver, but I raced him in a boosted 87 Super and I blew a head gasket, <laughs> he tried to drive so goddamn fast, that's the point, Jerry, and I'm here to plow your snow, and also uh, plow your mom, <laughs> Uh, have at it, I suppose. John Hero, John Jerry, Jingleheimer Schmidt. Oh my god, that's my name too. I don't believe it. <laughs> Simbufa, Judge Jerry, I am the beard. It's a Judge Dredd reference, isn't it? Nice. KJW Kajow, Crewy, Miss Monday, Lord Jerryo, leader of the Thunder Jerrys, uh, my lady dicks. We also got Jackets Rule, Melgar the Destroyer, Mr. Jerry 13, he dropped the attic door key in his IHOP pancakes while tripping some one legged server. Gonna have to wait a little while. <laughs> Mr. Carrot 797, Mikola Demikiev, Natari, Nightmare Jerry, or Gammy Jerry Steve. Congrats on the marriage. Patron saint of chicken nuggies, Saint Jerry Rahman. Phantom of the Pines, Jerrykins and Jerry Beth, Professor Tom Moriarty, Ramtide Lacrimates, Rose Jerry Miller, <laughs> TSM Kirby, Sarita the Lolita, Saucy Octopus, Silo Imp. Staples, a.k.a. Jerry Yeet, Stephanie Goodner, Synaptic Boomstick, Brilliant Tamago, Teddy the Police, Tenton Monster, The One True Fusky, Tom, uh, but it's the Jerry on the inside, the cows, uh, Treeberg, Viking Jerry, we changed the lock on the attic and felt Marble Jerry chewed through the asbestos and escaped, be safe everyone. <laughs> Will Mags, Comrade Mooney, Kira, you're a wizard, Jerry, Redwind, Goose Honk, Naga Viper, Sight, Jerry the Cyborg, Saint's Blessing, two inches of real alpha male. I'm scared. 
A normal Jerry. Asbestos, please tell me you're not going to fight the human torch, Marble Jerry. <laughs> because it's fire retardant. <laughs> Hunter of Jerry's devour of all things tasty. It is Tom, because Tom and Jerry never get along. Admiral T Tank, Alunia, Amara, Atomic Jerryzilla, AZ, Babsy Goon, Banished Knight, Barbushka's Irradiated Jam, Broken Spine, Horseradish, Cake Jerry. That's the original different Jerry. California Jerry Girl, hooray! Chevron 7 Lock, Chris Mesca, Cinnamon Bunny Dog, Corporal Admiral Furry Warrior, Woo Jerry. <laughs> Crypt titties, Cuban Jerry, Define Jerry, Dopamine Dangerous. So dangerous because we're gonna OD, son. Electrical Funnet, Ghost of Alpha, He Knot, HMT Mayor, Holy Berry Jerry. <laughs> There's so many Jerry's, Holy Berry. <laughs> or is it Halle Berry Jerry? What's going on? Hydra Jerry, <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey, my name's Jeffrey, Geralt of Rivia. <laughs> Jerry and Tom versus Happy New Year's Wavy Apocalypse. Jerry the Sussy Baka. Jerry's mom has got it going on. <laughs> That's all I want. And I waited for so long. <laughs> Jerry Aldo Rivera. You check out that mustache. Jerry Bean. Yum. Jerry Roxas. Yay. Jerry's STI got a new engine. Congrats. <laughs> Jerry role playing game. <laughs> Uh, Judge, Jerry, and Executioner, Kid Marvelous, Son of Dude Perfect, <laughs> King Tom, Kitsikin, Life of a Guardian, Little Ann Woods, Lucia Lovecraft, Machia, Cha-Cha-Cha-Chia, CD, <laughs> maybe next time, Midnight Sun, Milk-Fed Gimp, <laughs> Miss Duchess, Not Invisible Angel, One Leg Jerry, Working at IHOP, or Gammy Cam, QWQ, Ghosty Raptor, she's my Jerry Pie. Go drink a Mountain Dew with a bit surprise. Sheep Steve. <laughs> okay, Steve. Smitty, Smitty Warman, Jaggerman, Jensen. Snary the Snom Jerry, if you didn't know. Spoony the Rogue, Spoopy Scary Jerry. Tons are relevant all year round. <laughs> Steampunk Kelly, the gaslighting Terry. Your keys are right there in the peanut butter. I, I don't know why you put them there. I was making a sandwich. I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> the Necro Jerry card. The original Jerry, not. To Infinite Jerry and beyond, definitely. Tuna fish Jerry is some fishy going on. Yet another imaginative iteration of Jerry. <laughs> Uh, Tom Promise, Jerry swears, oh, no, bad Jerry. And Tom, be a good boy, no swear, it's just facts. So he says, yeah, go ahead and look by uh, by in the next video. Got it? Cool. <laughs> also, thank you to my $1 patrons. God, I'm just loving the Patreon, man. I've only been reading it, like, every couple of days, and it's always fresh. A bunch of new name changes, and I really do appreciate you guys keeping it interesting for me. I don't know who's who anymore, but that doesn't really matter. <laughs> I just appreciate you. Send me a message and tell me who you are if you really want me to know. Some of them I can connect because of the email addresses. Some of the people we haven't really talked before, but I'd be open to talking. If you want to talk to me, I send you a message every month. So just uh, say hello. <laughs> I'd appreciate it.
Obviously, I do hope some other people will consider signing up on the Patreon, but if you can't do it right now, don't sweat it too hard, friends. I just appreciate you coming on through, hanging out with me, and I hope that you come on back and hang out with me again tomorrow. In order to do so, you need to keep yourself safe out there, wash your hands, but also take some time out and do something that you personally enjoy today. Maybe like, go uh, watch some more Red X videos. Big brain time. <laughs> Always remember, friends, that you are loved, you are worthy, and you definitely, definitely deserve it. I shall see you in the next one, and until then, friends, bye-bye. Whatever you're funny, Peacock's got it exclusively. Bears beats The Office on Peacock. Stream every moment from Dunder Mifflin and explore bonus extras and exclusives. Plus, if you're looking for more classic hits, you can stream every episode of Parks and Recreation, Two and a Half Men, and every season of SNL. In the mood for something brand new? Check out Peacock's original comedies, The Amber Ruffin Show, and Saved by the Bell. Whether you're craving a new binge or familiar fave, you can find tons of comedy hits on Peacock. Get started for free at PeacockTV.com. That's another thing, too. You know, a lot of people assume when you get these leadership oh roles, it's, it's light work. It's easy. No, you're no longer yourself. Like you were saying earlier, like, you know, you're a businessman. And when you got here, it was real different because now you're Mr. Freshman. That's what they're going to attach anything you do to your yeah. title. Mm -hmm. If they see me mess up one time, they're going to be like, oh, that's Joy, SJ President. That's Joy, the Delta. That's Joy, the RA. It's never going to be just Joy anymore at all. Yeah. It's, nothing is going to be on me by myself. Yeah. It's always going to be attached to what groups I'm in, SGA, Delta, once again, like all of those things. You know, it's it's scary, but at the same time, you really got to embrace it. So yeah, For real, for real. You, you should want to be like that, though. Yeah. Like, your position should not make you like that. You should right. want to look good. You should want to walk out the door and people know that you are. Let us do this on this camera right now. That I see, like, yeah, that person, he don't do nothing on cameras, but I could tell he got that, you know. Right. And that's good. That means you have a good uh, rapport. You have a good um, representation of yourself. You know what I'm saying? That's how, That should be like that every time. Like, I shouldn't have to, like... I should have to force that on you. Hey guys, thank you for tuning into Beyond the Crown. 
If you are new to the village, my name is Ditu Kasui II, and I am a student at Virginia Union University. I am a freshman, and I currently hold the title as Mr. Freshman for the 2021-2022 academic school year. I am a criminal justice major with a minor in psychology. I'm also the owner of Raw Sniper Photography, and I'm here today with our esteemed guest. We have... Davon, Chief of Staff. Yeah. Now, before you introduce yourself, Davon, I'm going to tell you this. This is not a time to be humble. Mm-hmm. So when you introduce yourself, talk, talk, talk that talk. Okay. Yes, okay. very much so. Well, I am humble, so I'm going to be humble I'm playing. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> my name is Davon Harris. I am um, a junior, uh, major in mass communications. Um, like he said before, I serve as Chief of Staff for SGA. Um, I'm also the president of Scent Campus Ministries. I'm also everything you think I am. So <laughs> I do everything. I'm also a member of the Gamma Chapter of Alpha Alpha Attorney Incorporated. I'm a Fall 21 initiate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, what else I do? I'm also a photographer, videographer on the side. Um, I'm everything. Minister and all of the above. Happy to be here, D2. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, yes, Davon. We also have... Our lovely, esteemed guest, Joy, our SGA president, Madam, (laughs) Madam President Joy. Now, Joy, once again, this is not a time to be humble. Please tell the viewers, the listeners, because, I mean, this is an audio podcast, (laughs) you know, about yourself. Tell us about yourself. Um, So, like he stated, yes, my name is Joyden. Lyons Parker, I do serve as the 87th SGA president of the Rebirth Administration. Um, In my time at Union, I have served in a lot of different capacities, including freshman class senator, director of communications, VP of internal affairs. Um, I am also a spring 21 initiate of the Beta Beta Epsilon chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, Along with that, I am a resident assistant. I have been a part of D2D, which is our campus step team. Um, I served on her sister's closet as the chief social media executive person, you know, running the page. Um, I am a mass comm major with a focus in public relations. So a lot of what I do is hands-on networking. I On the side, I also make flyers, so, you know. Promotion out there if you ever need a flyer done. Y'all better tap in with my tap girl. In, okay. So, yeah, that's yes, me. very much she's so. Say she's a graduating senior as well. Yes, I a am graduating. also a graduating senior yeah, of the illustrious Virginia Union yeah. University. Virginia Union. Yes. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you can quote me on that. That's fine. Okay. I'm on straight fire on this uh, interview. Yes, because. You, you, you know, at your last interviews, you know. You know, very much so. You know, <laughs> we're looking forward to interviewing V State for uh-huh. sure. Um, I want to ask you guys how long have you served in SGA? I've been in SGA since my freshman year. Um, I started off as a freshman class senator, then I moved my way up to VP of marketing. Uh, now I'm chief of staff, so okay. that's how it's been. Joy? Same. Um, I've been in SGA since my freshman year. Uh, I was freshman class senator my freshman year, and then Devon's freshman year, I was um, 
director of communications. Then my junior year, I was VP of internal affairs. And now I have the pleasure of serving as SGA president. So it's like with you guys being in these positions for so long and just really been participating in SGA, you have you, you have seen change within the administration. So how do you how do you what's the word I want to say? How do you navigate through that? How do you navigate through the change throughout your four years or your three years serving in SGA? Um, change is not always easy, but necessary, especially like with the environment that we're in now, given that COVID is alive and well. Uh, there's been a lot of changes with our university. So adapting to that change, it's been hard, but you know, we're student leaders. We have to adapt as we go. And especially being at Union, you learn to adapt very quickly to your surroundings. So um, I would say that change was not necessarily the hard part. It's just all the moving pieces that come with it. That is true. That is true. How do you feel about change? Um, you know, particularly, I like I like change to a certain extent. Because I believe there's good change, there's also uncomfortable change. So some things you have to change and, you know, you may not want to change. You know what I'm saying? So with, with being a union, change is like all we do. <laughs> there's always nothing that we got to go through. So um, change, I, I mean, honestly... Like change really helps you grow as a person. Like if you don't, if you don't, if stuff is, if stuff becomes uncomfortable, it's right. You know, so you're in a place of growth. So, you know, uh, changing at this university is it's been hard. <laughs> it's been real hard to adapt to COVID changes, to um, even SGA changes. You know, what I'm saying, um, actually seeing the difference in between each administration because each leader runs their administration differently. You know, what I'm saying so. Um, but also, like I said before, change produces growth. So that's why, even though I don't like it, I still go through change because I have to. You know what, what I'm mean? saying? Because it helps me grow. You definitely have to embrace it. Um, one thing I learned before I even got to college, I was on a dance team. And sometimes the choreo would change right before we had the show. And I would just be so stressed out. I would be so stressed out. And my coach used to always say, adjust. Adjust. Because, I mean, one thing about it, time is not going to stop for anyone. So you're going to have to make a decision, and you're going to have to adjust. You're going to have to be best be prepared. And sometimes, even when you're not prepared, you just have to think. <laughs> and you have to just embrace the change. And so with that comes, like, if you want to change certain things, too. Because sometimes it's like, okay, the change could come outside of what I want to say. The change will come... Well, you haven't welcomed the change, yeah. but sometimes, like, when you're trying to bring change to something, you have to take protocol. Mm -hmm. And that's one big thing that I've learned in college. Protocol. Because it's like, you have certain things you want to get done, uh -huh. and... Before, like, I learned, I, the way I learned stuff, like, if you want to get something done, you just, you say what you want. You say what you want, and you keep on expressing how you feel, and then you get it. Well, no, that is not how things work once you get to college. When you get to college, there's an order to everything. You have to reach out to one person. You got to send an email with this. You want to continuously leave a paper trail. You want to continuously be persistent. If you don't follow the protocol, then whatever you want to get done it's not gonna get done what is it the girls that do it the do get it, get it. oh it's the girls that get it get it i'm gonna I'm a, I'm a remix that right. the girls that do it 
do it. And the ones that don't, don't. Like, you just got to be able to follow that protocol. How do y'all feel about that? I I definitely agree. You know, um, I would honestly say that's that's been a struggle as an SGA president or within any role that I've been in is honestly, you know, having people, trying to have people follow that certain protocol. Because like you said, you know, it may be quicker to get something done if I just say something about it now and go to who I need to go to. But at the same time, you know, there's a chain of command, hierarchy levels. And so, you know, just to respect everybody within their own positions so you're not stepping on each other's toes. You have to kind of go through that level of protocol because I've been on administrations. I've been on teams where people don't follow that certain protocol and it didn't help at the end of the day. And I've been on administrations and I've been on teams where we did follow that protocol and everything was in order and we got stuff done the way we needed to. But if it, if we're being honest, speaking, you know, beyond the crown, beyond the position, mm-hmm. you know, it's to me, protocol, it really just depends on the atmosphere and, you know, how you talk to certain people, because sometimes it's not about the way you say something, it's about the message that you're trying to get across. Yes, I may be in the heat of the moment and I may need you to do something right right now, right here, but we're not gonna always follow protocol. It's just it's just how life is. Life doesn't follow pro, follow a protocol. Yeah, so, definitely. you know, sometimes you just can't follow protocol. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's sure. how I see it. Yeah. Yeah, protocol for me, I feel like it's important. It's a very important thing. A lot of people don't know how to do that. A lot of people don't know how to follow proper procedures like we have the issue in our own administration you know what I'm saying people you know not you know do what they have to do but also it comes like with like even the school atmosphere like how do you maneuver like how do I I have an issue with this university but I decided to email the president instead of talking to the dean of students you know what I'm saying like that's the issue some people just they want the issue to be fixed but they just run to the top you know what I'm saying? When Peru, like, he's just a face, and right. everybody else the arm and legs of the university. So you got to talk to them that makes the real serious changes. He just approves or denies. You know what I'm saying? So why not, you know, do the proper steps with protocol so you can get what you need? You know what I'm saying? So I feel like protocol is important. It's super important. It's needed because, you know, if we don't follow the right protocol, then... <laughs> Some stuff is not going to get done. It's like, like she said earlier, there are some times where protocol we broken. And you got it because sometimes stuff is not happening right. And you need to do so, you know, something to change. You know what I'm they saying? show up. And, Life shows up. Yeah. So sometimes you need to change. So, you know what I'm saying? Protocol just helps us be able to move in an organized way. But sometimes organization or moving in that way ain't going to always work. Sometimes you got to make some fire, put some heat up under that zone yeah. to make some stuff change. We did it before. We do it again. So, Amen. like, how do y'all... How do y'all know? Because I, I know there's a thin line from differentiating when to follow protocol and then when it's time to get things done. Because it's a thin line. Like you, Sometimes it'd be like, well, I could have did this. I could have followed protocol. But sometimes when I feel like my message is not being properly registered or processed, then I have to take a different route to make sure that I'm understood. So how do you differentiate differentiate when it's the appropriate time to make that decision? Um, I would definitely say it depends on the person and the situation. Because, you know, it may be the same situation, but different circumstances behind the situation. So, like, things that I deal with as SJ president, who's to say that the next SJ president is not going to deal with them the same way? But because I have a different perspective... 
um, on how things go than the next SGA president, especially, you know, I'm a female. The next SGA president may be a male. So, you know, it's just those different thought processes. You have to really be able to differentiate for yourself. Like, if I know that this is something that I can get across while using protocol, then by all means, go ahead. But if you know this is something that, hey, I, people not going to take me serious unless I step out of this protocol role and say what I need to say. So that's where the differentiation comes in, you know, really just take it day by day, incident by incident, case by case. I feel that. I feel that. I mean, I just think it's a good life skill to have because after you get outside of college, when you go to work, you got to go to your supervisor when you want to call out. Mm-hmm. And then when the supervisor not there, you got to go to your manager. And when the manager not there, you got to talk to the store manager. But if you try to go to the top and then they don't meet your needs, then you're upset. Mm-hmm. Because it's a lot of people who are going to be the face of something or be the top dog boss. And you're going to think that they're going to want to help you. They're going to be welcoming. They're going to be able to assist you with all your needs. When in actuality, they're just going to pass you off to the side. They're going to pass you down to the next person who was supposed to assist you in the first place. So now you're going through the runaround. Nobody wants to go around the runaround. When ultimately you could have went through the protocol. Like It's just a key life skill to have because when you have no order... Your life becomes out of order. Yes. I feel like, you know, um, the time we could break protocol is when, you know, like when things are getting like, it's nothing getting done. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes you want to see change. You know what I'm saying? So if you want to see change in something and protocol ain't working, then it's when you break it, but only in a way people can hear you. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we break protocol because we're angry. You know what I'm saying? Because we're irate. But that's not how you do it. Like everything has to be done in a professional way. Like, when we have issues with here in Union, everything is held with professionalism. Like, and it'd be crazy stuff. Like, we, we want to go off. We want to go off meetings with Dr. Dr. Lucas and all the people like that. But we keep it. But we can't because how can I help everybody else if I look crazy? You know what I'm saying? If I'm making myself look crazy. Nobody's going to really hear me because I'm over here being mad going off. Oh, my God, there's something in the door. That's not, no. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to hear that. They want to hear, okay, let me see proof. Let me see evidence. You know, this university love data, okay? They love some data. They love information. So take some pictures. Bring some, get some surveys done. You know what I'm saying? If you're a union student listening to this podcast, do the surveys, please. Do the, just, do, just do the surveys. <laughs> just do the surveys, all right? But that's the time you break protocol when things are going, nothing's going right. You know what I'm saying? You've done everything that you could. Yeah, everything that you could in a professional way. You know what I'm saying? And now you got to do what you got to do to break it. And we broke it. A good few times, you know what I'm saying? Because we got tired of it. We got tired of the the hoopla. We got tired of all that stuff. We had to do what we had to do. You know what I'm saying? And that's fine. And another thing, like, you know, like we talking beyond the position, beyond the crown, you know, whatever. It's it's moments where we see the same frustration that students have. We oh, have that exact same frustration. Man. You know, I some people think, some people believe that because we're in these positions, we have it made. You know, we get special privileges. We go through the, the same, same thing. thing. The going, same thing. We go through the same thing. On a, having, on a different level. But having responsibility. Right. Still having to right. show up for your position. Right. Show up and do your job. Get and the job done. And that's the difficult part. Like, you know, following protocol, trying to separate my feelings as a student leader from my feelings as a student. Because 
I, I promise you, it's been countless days where I understand what students are saying and I have the exact same frustration. But because I'm SGA president, because I'm a Delta, because I'm in so many other things, my how I receive it and how I display my frustration cannot be the same as how you all do it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's been moments where, you know, like Devon has said, you step outside of your role and you do show that frustration. But that's only because... If they don't see you in the light as a student, they'll never respect you as a student leader. Yeah. So that's definitely how I differentiate. Differentiate. Yeah, differentiate. (laughs) You know when to break protocol. So. Yes, but you know that really goes with too just separating emotion with business. I always preach that because I'm a very emotional person. Mm -hmm. So like when I get upset, when I get passionate, Mm -hmm. I get so upset that sometimes. I'm not thinking about protocol. I'm not thinking about what's the order of things. I want to express how I feel because I feel like I'm not listened to. But then it's like when you show when you show your behind, you start screaming, kicking and screaming. People they not gonna they're not gonna respect you. They're not gonna listen to you. Mm-hmm. And then it's a what's the word? It's a misunderstanding of you. Mm-hmm. You're very misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you don't want that. That's the worst thing you want because then in future time, Man. nobody is going to ever respect you when it comes to other stuff. I've and, seen, sorry to cut you off, uh, but I've seen people who did one thing wrong. They went off that one time and it destroyed their whole image. Yeah. Like, that's why, like, I watch where I go off at. Like, mm-hmm. I just walk away from sometimes because <laughs> I know if that one day I go off from somebody, run from everybody, it's going to be bad. And, and people are not going to look at me the same way. They're like, oh, that's him. The alpha just went off like that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Devon SGA, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, you know, Devon a minister. Oh my God, people love pulling that card. Oh, he a preacher, <laughs> you know? He cursing, he a preacher, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's, it's, I'm you human. Know, with with these platforms comes responsibility. Yeah. yeah. And that was a hard. It's still a hard concept yeah, for me to grasp because before before I really came to Union, when I started my business, it was like uh, okay, I kind of determined how I want to be, what type of business owner mm-hmm. I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But then I was just like, okay, well, you know, you can't be arguing with people on social media mm-hmm. because you're a business owner. You can't mm-hmm. do this. You can't do that because you have certain clients you want to bring in. But once I got to Union, that was a whole different ball game because mm-hmm. it's like, I can't be seen doing anything crazy. I can't be seen saying anything crazy because yes. I represent the school. Mm-hmm. Every time I step out my dorm. Yeah. Every time. No matter Every where time. I am. No matter where I am. Yeah, I could be at the club. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm still deep to pursue this. Sweatpants sometimes. I'm like, yes. you like a bum today. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like your image really doesn't matter. Like, being and in these student leader roles. Yeah. Like, and I don't want to no shade. But some of us, need we need to tighten it up. We need to tighten it up. Because if you call yourself this, this, and that, and if you're in a role, you need to make sure that you look like that way every time they see you. Because yeah. what happens is, because you are an image of the university, that's how they see us. They see you how you dress. So if you dress in bummy every day, people want to see that. You know what I'm saying? They're going to think that's, that's a union. That's not us. You know what I'm saying? And what happens is, oh, Lord, this is good. Because <laughs> it's, so, it's so true. Like, yes. it, 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 you know, it's real. Like, people don't understand, like, the position is like, 
it's important. You know what I'm saying? The role that you hold here, whether you are an SGA, Royal Court, PAB, if you're a regular student, you know what I'm saying? Whatever you do on this campus, you are a representation of this university. So you have to watch what you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. I know, like, when I take when I take this SGA head off, I'm, I'm chilling. You know what I'm saying? But I still got to be an example regardless. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I be going out, you know what I'm saying? But I can't act too wild when I go out because <laughs> I'm still the example. You know what I'm saying? I don't even see me over here, you know. On the floor, yeah. crawling out the door, <laughs> out, out, of the, <laughs> out of the box. They're going to be like, oh, is that Davon? Yeah. Is that what y'all do? Yeah. yeah. That chief of staff? Right. <laughs> and I think, too, that just kind of speaks back to the whole change question, you know, like, how do we move with change? Because, you know, in the past, we've seen student leaders. Come on. We've seen student leaders, you know, be in their role and then do other stuff as well, like, like Davon said, you know, when at the end of the day, five o'clock, I take off my hat as SGA president, but I still have other hats to wear. I still, I'm still an RA. I'm still a Delta. So I still have to uphold myself at a, a certain level, even when I'm not in my position. Because, I mean, you're part of a, you're part of groups. Right. And they're not going to say, oh, that was Joy right. drinking out there. They're going to be like, oh, is that the Delta? Right. And is that, that going to be the... That's another thing, too. You know, a lot of people assume when you get these leadership oh roles, it's it's light work. It's easy. No, you're no longer yourself. Like you were saying earlier, like, you know, you're a businessman. And when you got here, it was real different because now you're Mr. Freshman. That's what they're going to attach anything you do to your yeah. title. Mm-hmm. If they see me mess up one time, they're going to be like, oh, that's Joy, SJ President. That's Joy, the Delta. That's Joy, the RA. It's never going to be just Joy anymore at all. Yeah. It's, nothing is going to be on me by myself. Yeah. It's always going to be attached to what groups I'm in, SGA, Delta, once again, like all of those things. You know, it's it's scary, but at the same time, you really got to embrace it. So yeah, For real, for real, you, you should want to be like that, though. Yeah. Like, your position should not make you like that. You should right. want to look good. You should want to walk out the door and people know that you are. Like, there's students on campus right now that I see, like, yeah, that person, he don't do nothing on campus, but I could tell he got that, you know. Right. And that's good. That means you have a good uh, rapport. You have a good um, representation of yourself. You know what I'm saying? That's how, That should be like that every time. Like, I shouldn't have to, like... I shouldn't have to force that on you. Right. But that comes with being grown. Not everybody yeah. comes from that household. That's and I've it. learned that coming to Union. Like, you learn so many people from different places. And they're from different homes. So yeah. certain things are not instilled mm-hmm. at the home to lay that proper foundation. So then once you get here, you just buck wild. Yeah. Like, I, when, I first, when I first got on my dance team in high school, we had to dress up every Friday. You had you had to dress up every Friday, and even through the even through the weekday, we still had to look presentable. Mm-hmm. And so, like that kind of followed me to a certain degree. That's why when when my campaign came, like everybody like, oh, D two got a suit on. Like before the before the um campaign, yeah, like because this is the protocol for me. Right. This is the things that been instilled in me it comes skill because once you learn certain things from each group like that's becomes your every day as you as a person Mm -hmm. you're gonna attain skills and like how do y'all how do y'all really bring your skill to your position how can i start yeah, go ahead. So I want to add, I said this all the time to SG, I said it to Scent, I said it even to Alpha, because they need to know it too. I said it to them, I said, um, 
each role that you're in is up for development, meaning that you create the role that you're in. Like, the role does not make you. You make the role. Like, you have to make the role. Like, being chief of staff, I had no blueprint. No blueprint. I know being SGA president, she had no blueprint, no blueprint at all. So we had to develop our role. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, in that, in that light, you know what I'm saying, <sighs> you got to make sure, you know what I'm saying, like, we, how I bring my skills to my role is, you know, I think about what, what my role is first, and I bring out what, what can I do. So knowing that I'm chief of staff, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, no, I'm chief of staff. I know that one thing I'm good at is being organized. So what I do, I bring, I bring my skill of organization to the team. So I'm like, okay, well, on the calendar, we have this event coming up. We need to have this, this, and that done by this day. It doesn't get done, something's not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? What you do is you look at what you can do great at, and you bring it all into what you're doing. Like, don't, don't okay, well, the last year's president did this. No, you make the role who you. You know what I'm saying? You make the role who you are. Because what happens is... If you just call somebody else, you had the same problems, same thing I had from last year. You have to bring what you can to change what you're doing. If you get what I'm saying, like you got to make sure you're in a place where you're in a place where you want to develop. Like you want to, you want to actually build up what you're doing. Because I'm getting tired of being copycats. I'm tired of seeing the same person in the same role every single year. I want to see something different. You know what I'm saying? I want to see you bring. Yeah, I want you. I want to see you bring everything that you know you have into the team. You know what I'm saying? To the fold. So that's how I bring my skills. I see what I can do. I'm good at organization. I'm good at speaking. I'm good at you know what I'm saying. Uh, being real boastful. You know what I'm saying? Being real bold. You know what I'm saying? So like sometimes, yeah, very assertive. People know I walk around. I'm, I'm like, what's going on? You know what I'm saying? What's what it is? You know what I'm saying? Because we, you know. Yeah, bring it back. I felt a little irritation. <laughs> but you have to be assertive. You have to be assertive because nobody is going to advocate for you. Like, okay, for yourself. Nobody's going to advocate for you. And it's like, I love that you said, like, it's what it's how you make. How you make your position. Like, I know with Mr. Freshman, it's so much I wanted to take Mr. Freshman to the next level. Because... Yeah, it's beyond the crown, but also I take pictures, mm-hmm. I sing, I dance. How can I incorporate that in some type of way, shape, or form? Can yeah. I do events mm-hmm. in regards to that? I know I have a sweet tooth, so the first thing I wanted to do was, a, was, the, ice cream was the ice cream social. <laughs> Everybody know I wanted to do this ice cream social so bad. I wanted to give out free ice cream, have with a snow cones, all of that, but that's because I wanted to make that. Yeah. For my position, so then when the next Mister Freshman come, they like, wow, D two did this. Right. How can I fill in these shoes? Right. Even how do I outgrow these shoes? Yeah, yeah. and that's because people say fill in, but yeah. outgrow my shoes. That's definitely been something that um, I have thought about for a long time, especially like my junior year, knowing that I wanted to run for SGA president. Because when I came in. You know, I had this great administration. Shout out to the 84th. Um, They will forever be like my family. And I say it all the time. And I know people be like, oh, my gosh, you talk about the 84th so much. But like, really, like, that's where the foundation was laid for me. Like, I got to see what what. SJ president was, you know, what senators were, what a Senate was. You know, I got to see the breakdown of SGA and how I could make these positions better. Now, granted, you know, over the course of my four years here, like I said, you know, there's been administrations that kind of set us back. But, you know, you learn from it, you grow from it. I've learned different skills in each administration. And so what I do now with those skills is 
I incorporate everything, you know. Of course, I, I show deference um, to those who came before me. But at the same time, you know, like Devon was saying, make it your own. This is your position. This is not anybody else. And if you can't advocate for yourself in this position, then how are you going to advocate for others? And that's something that I really, like, try to pride myself on is because if I, if I can't speak up for myself, if I can't say the little things that's going on, then how can I say it for somebody else? It's gonna be like you being a hypocrite, yeah. Because it's if like you you should be your first main priority. Mm-hmm. And if your skills aren't helping you change it to the person you want to be, how are your skills gonna help somebody else? You have to be that example, right? That's why every day, every day, <laughs> every day, I ask myself before I step out the door, who will I impact? That's good. Who You're preaching, sir? Who will I impact? Because you never really know. Who's watching? You don't. You never know who is watching. People always tell me, um, I have a certain way I shake people's hands. My dad always say you give a firm grip mm-hmm. when you do handshakes. Except for women. I always give them a little gentle little handshake. I don't want to squeeze their hand too hard. But <laughs> you never know who's going to sign your checks one day. You never know. So I'm always Gitu Kasui the second hailing from Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. First, that's always what you're going to get. I don't care if I'm in a club. I don't care if I'm in the calf. I don't care if I'm out in Norfolk State, mm-hmm. out in Hampton University, everywhere I go. I'm D2 Kasui hailing from Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. Because when you're connecting with people, I'm so big on first impressions. impressions. Yes, they last first imp- They last forever. I, I, I know all my first impressions of everybody who I associate myself with. You, you you really have to make sure you make a statement and be... And that's why I say it's good to be assertive. Mm-hmm. It's very... Because if, you, if you're not confident in yourself... I mean, too, you know, with that assertiveness, you have to have a balance, too. Yes. Yeah, you don't want to always be assertive, assertive, assertive. And, you know... You know, when you're too assertive sometimes, it don't connect. It don't it doesn't connect with people. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. you know, you really have to understand how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, you know, you may need to say a message one way, but it's not about the tone and how you say the message. It's just about what you're needs saying. to be done, right? What I'm saying. So if I know I can say this to this person, mm-hmm. they're not gonna take any offense to how I say it, but they're gonna get it done. That's all I need to hear. Yeah. So, okay. you know, assertiveness is great, but... You don't want to be... Right. You don't, don't want to be, be over too. the top with it. You got to have a happy medium. Yeah. You got to have, have a balance. But that comes with just being able to be... What's the word I want to use? You have to just be able to... Adapt. Adapt. Really yes. Adapt. It really is adapting and adjusting no, to different really. audiences so you can be able to be versatile yes. in your audience. Mm-hmm. Because I know I can say... I can say anything to anyone. And they can understand what I'm saying. Right. No matter who you are. When I'm talking to kids, like right. I was a, that's a wonderful analogy. I was working with kids. Mm-hmm. And you can't say the same things mm-hmm. that you would say to an adult, to mm-hmm. a three-year-old who don't understand yep. what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So you got to break it down. You got to be able to adjust and mold yourself. Because if you just want to be rude... Because, I mean, that that's that's the other thing, too. Yeah. Like, you can be assertive, but then there's people who are mm-hmm. just flat-out rude, flat-out cocky. That's yes. not going to get you anywhere. Anywhere. Nowhere in life. Nobody's going to want to work with you. Nobody's going to want to collab with you. Nobody's not going to want to do a favor for you. Because clearly, you got it. Right. And that's what they're You such and such. You've asserted yourself that much, yep. but the work doesn't come behind it. Mm-hmm. 
We have a few people like that who are just so assertive, so into the position, so into the role. But when it comes to the work, when it comes to the service, it's just not matching up. It's not. That is a fact. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, honestly, you just have to learn. But, I mean, you have to impact people. Yeah. yeah. Once you set that tone of who you are as a person, the next focus is who will you impact? Because if you come into a position and you don't inspire nobody or help somebody go into your position after you leave, then ultimately you haven't done anything. And, nope. and then, yep. too, you know, inspiration or inspiring someone is not it doesn't always look the same. So, you know, I may inspire somebody like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do in life. But then I also may inspire somebody. Ah, that's not, that's not me. I don't, I don't feel that I'm, that's not connecting with me too well. So, you know, that inspiration, it, it has a positive and a negative side, but the negative is not probably always negative. It's just, you know, realizing that something may not be for you or may not be for that person so you know inspiration it comes in various forms and shapes and that's so that's i love that that's so true because i know one of my inspirations is one of my close friends her name is danielle and she went through her college experience while i was going through my high school Mm -hmm. experience and so now i'm better I'm able to better navigate now through my college experience just based off of right. what she's been through. Right. So I love that. You you really do inspire yeah. people negative or positive. You never know who might be listening in. Mm-hmm. But it's once you inspire somebody, it's about the legacy yeah. you leave yeah. behind. Like what legacy yeah. do y'all honestly want to leave oh, behind? Yeah. I feel like one thing I want to add, like when you're in positions, like you have your your goal should be changed. Like I think a lot of people we get in positions, we just just riding it through, but they have no goal. You know what I'm saying? And the first goal you should have is change. There's something going to university, something going on on whatever team you on that you see that's wrong. That's why you joined it. You know what I'm saying? Because you see that there's an issue, you want to have an impact. So your first goal should be changed. Like and like you said, legacy. Like how you leave a legacy? That's through doing something. That's actually, you know, doing something, making a difference. So why not do change? <laughs> why not make it a goal to change? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's my thing. When I did SGA, I was like, something going on. And I want to be a part of the change. You know what I'm saying? I can't just be sitting around and not doing nothing. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't want this role and to just allow it to be. You know what I'm saying? So that's, 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 that was my, my most important thing, you know, being in this role that my goal, like I said before, was change. And I wanted to make a difference within my class, with this university. I, honestly, my goal when I first started wasn't even really SGA president. My goal was just to be a part. Definitely. Like, I, I never would have thought I would have been <laughs> SGA president. Yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. But um, if I had to answer the question to a legacy, that's that's deep. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's like when you leave here, <laughs> what would you want people to say? You could leave some bad legacies too. We'd be real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, for for me personally, for uh-huh. me, one legacy that I would want to leave at Union. Um, this is this is hard. And it's okay. You don't really have to yeah, know right I on mean, the head. I, I know, but it's a certain way I'm trying to phrase it. But I'm, I'm just going to say it. So um, coming in, like I said, you know, I never would have thought that I would have been SGA president. Like, Union was never my first choice. Like, 
I, I came here because I received a tennis scholarship. I hadn't seen the campus. I didn't know anything about Union. So, you know, you know, we was talking about change. Like, that's scary. I was supposed to be at Hampton. Uh, you know, I was on my way to Hampton. Right. And so two weeks before school started, changing my mind and coming to Union. But it was like the best thing ever. So if I had to leave a legacy, it would be, you know, don't be afraid to do anything at all. Like, take that chance because you never know what's going to happen. Like, I promise you, if I, four years ago, if somebody would have told me that I would have been SGA president, I would have been all these things, I would have said, you're lying to me. Like, you're lying to me. But, you know, through my matriculation, you just meet different people, experience different things. And I guess that's kind of the legacy that I would leave, you know, go through those experiences. Don't be afraid to experience anything, whether good or bad, because it's going to shape you. It will mold you into the person that you need to be later in life. I definitely think one legacy Joy has left with me <laughs> is that I remember I came to Joy, like, and this is something that I'm still kind of like on the fence about, but I came to Joy and I told her I was interested in doing two positions. Definitely did. And she said something that stuck with me and she was just like, well, when you do go out for it, Make sure you don't come off position hungry. Mm-hmm. What is your platform and how can you best serve each role? And I think honestly, like watching you, like you really dress up every day. You show up every day. Every time I see you in the office, if I'm looking for joy, joy is going to be in the office. I try. And I just love, I love that though, because it's very consistent. Mm-hmm. It shows that you have a discipline about yourself yeah. and an example that, you, that you're always willing to show. Yeah. You always show that example. So I really think that's going to be one of the legacies that you leave behind. I know for me, being Mr. Freshman, I really came into a wildfire. <laughs> yeah. I came I came into a wildfire. But I was able <laughs> I was able to just I was able to adapt. And sometimes you're going regardless no position is going to be pretty. I'm just I'm I'm going to just be quite honest with you. If anybody tells you that no matter what school if you go to Hampton, you go to NSU, you go to Howard University, no position is going to be 100% perfect. But the, it's about how you adjust and how you make it better for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, honestly, we have the sad situation. Honestly, I know it was not the right decision to go, go out there on that media <laughs> and, to, and, and really express how I felt. Yeah. And um, at the time, I felt like I wasn't being listened to, but that goes back to protocol. But I wouldn't want the next Mr. Freshman behind me to feel like they're not heard. So it's certain things I want to set in place. Okay, so next year before I leave my position, if I am Mr. Sophomore or not, I'm going to make sure that there's a sash for Mr. Freshman. I'm going to make sure that there's an action plan far as what is his wardrobe. So all we need is his size. All we need is the shoe size. Okay, I'm going to help him on what is your actual role as Mr. Freshman. How can I guide you? How can I be a mentor to you? Yeah. So you can have be have that necessary resource. Because a lot of times, 
with positions, you're not going to have the same resources. Definitely not. It's, it's going to be different. It's going to be a different amount of resources you're going to have to choose and pull from yeah. every year. So, you know, with that, you just got to use them to the best yeah. of your ability. And what you can't use, you're going to have to bring to that table. You have to make it that's, a resource. Yeah, that's definitely been something that I can say that SGA this year kind of struggled with was, you know, those resources because because of COVID, you know, nothing is the same at all. So reaching out to different people, reaching out to people from the past, it's like they can give me all the advice in the world, all the resources they use, but it's, it's sometimes it's just not suitable for us right now. And that's okay because you make your own resources as you go along. So like you said, for the next person, next SJ president, I, I could tell them, hey, this is who you go talk to for this. And yes, they might be able to go talk to that person. If not, then once again, that's their legacy. They got to leave what resources create, they use. Yeah, right. You got to create that resource. Right. But that also goes by when you enter a position, how do you live by your platform? Sometimes I get very frustrated because I'm not living by my platform. And it's like, I didn't tell all these people mm-hmm. that I'm D2 Kasui the second. Setting the tone for the future of VUU, demonstrating leadership through service, fellowship, and influencing scholarship. It's a spiritual platform, right. And we go looking I forgot that. Yeah, like oh no, I keep up with it because it's yeah. like I look at it on a daily. I really do look at it on a daily because I'm like, hmm, how am I demonstrating scholarship if I'm showing up to class late? How am I demonstrating scholarship if I'm turning in my work late? If I got a C, I got a D in my class, but I'm ready to get in front of the school and get on my platform, my social media platform and say, hey, go do this, go do that. I'm dropping the Mr. Freshman tips, but I'm not even following my own tips. But it's hard sometimes because nobody is perfect. Nobody is perfect. And a lot of times people think that we may think we're perfect, but I know I'm not perfect. I know, but you really have to live. Once you embody your platform, you are able to campaign it the best way. Yeah, that that's very true. Like you really just made me go look at my platform. Like and like you said, I've saved every platform that I've used like while I'm here. And every year I can honestly say, you know, I may have not have done everything that I wanted to do, but in some way, shape, or form, that platform has changed the way I think, changed the way I move. Whether or not I see it every day, I see the little things that have changed because of the platforms that I've set in place. So, like, my um, platform for SJ President, you know, engaging resources, it's a lot of stuff that, because of COVID, we couldn't do. But that's why now I'm trying so hard to fight for certain things to come back. Hence the name, the Rebirth Administration. Rebirth is what we need right now. Yes. So this is a new era. Right. This is not the old union. Next year, it's not going to be a rebirth that we need. It's going to be something different. So, you know, like you said, as you go along, resources change. Everything changes. Like, platforms change. And that's okay. Like, I, the platform that I started off with was not the platform that I ended with. It changed throughout my entire campaign. What was your first platform? So... So my my theme, like when I ran for SJ president, it was how to get away with murder. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do with the theme or whatever. And so, you know, I was 
I was like, well, you know, maybe I could use my platform from last year, my junior year, which was like um, 2020 vision because it was 2020 when I ran. And so I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because, you know, granted, people weren't here when I got to use that platform. But I'm like, so much stuff has changed in a year. It's not the same. So, you know, that's what I came up with. I came up with moving upward, restoring dreams and engaging resources because that's what union needs right now. We need people to show us how to get back to the way we were, like how to achieve the things that we once were achieving before. Like before this year, union was on the map. And honestly, before two years ago, union has been on the map, but we just got to do the necessary things we need to do to get us back to that point. So if if I'm being honest, that's really what my platform was for. And I can say that we're living up to that because there's been things that we didn't do last year that we're doing this year. You know, and a big thing for us was campus being open this year. Like, you know, last year, SJ president last year thought it was a good fit for campus not to be open. And I can't be against it because that's what we needed at the time. But now we have a lot more students, you know, we need to get the resources back where they used to be. So we can't do that with the atmosphere that we had from last year. So to sum it all up, I do think that um, I am seeing those daily changes or seeing that platform become a reality. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real. When you have a platform, um, it, it's, yes, that, that's your goal. That's your main goal. That's something that you, <laughs> it's just camera, it's this microphone for me. <laughs> it's, you know what I'm saying? It, it's really, you know, that's like, what that's, that's that's like your that's your goal, you know what I'm saying? And what happens is, you know, don't be how it says, don't don't go hard on yourself because you don't like make it to that thing. Because I have my platform, you know what I'm saying. Last year of VP marketing, I barely even touched that daggone thing because honestly, even though I had a platform, it didn't really align to what was needed at the time. Like that was a good goal that I had. I wanted to have that happen, but in the, the day, like. There was a whole other new need that Union needed, and I had to solve that need. You know what I'm saying? So your platform is, you know what I'm saying, really is what you want to be. But don't be mad at yourself if you don't hit it all. Because, right. like, just like you said, she had to take joy in her little, her little victories. That's what matters the most. Like, you're actually making a difference. You know what I'm saying? Don't go hard on yourself because, oh, oh, I tried to do this, but it didn't work out this year. That's fine. Next year you can do something different and do it way better. You know what I'm saying? You have to take joy in those little victories and keep it pushing. That's what because I do. Because if you, if you don't, I, I said this in my last episode, if you don't thank yourself, nobody else is going to thank you. Nobody's going to thank you. And you have to remind yourself because sometimes we get to a point of not trying to be complacent. And we're constantly on the move of what I want to do next, what I want to do next. You forget that, oh, like, I really did that this year. Like, when this year ends, I'm going to really say to myself, wow, I really was Mr. Freshman. And that's something that I wanted to do prior to me even touching down on Union Campus. And I was like, I'm not sure with me being a year older. I'm class of 2020. I'm like, how is class of 25 really going to embrace me as a student? Because this is a different age group. Even though I even learned in college, there is no set age group. But that's what I was thinking prior. I was like, okay, it's going to be people a year younger than me. And I'm trying to get them to vote for me. My roommate is 24 years old and is a freshman. He is a freshman. And I find that quite amazing because he still participates in everything. He doesn't let that discourage him from anything. So I definitely feel as though when it comes to your platform, 
you just really got to just don't overthink it. Be authentic and be original. Be and do and do and do what you're going to do because people can tell when you're lying. Yes, people are going to know when you are lying. No. <laughs> I promise you. I promise you. That right there is the best advice any student leader could give to any student is to be authentic, be yourself. Because as students, we know when we putting on the front. We know when administration is putting on a front. Mm-hmm. We can tell. So if, if the least you could do is be authentic with mm-hmm. other students yeah. because they're they going to see right through the BS if you let them. Like, yes. if you let them. What are some other advice y'all have for student leaders? So I guess the advice that I would give to student leaders, like, right now, I, I would say um, – Stay the course. Mm-hmm. Like, be consistent. Like, we have a few more months till you're done your term. You know what I'm saying? It's all of us, everybody, everybody's school, you know what I'm saying? We end at the end of the year, you know what I'm saying? End of the school year. Stay the course. Be consistent. Don't give up now because you, you didn't complete the stuff. You want. Like, if we give up. Everything. Because yes, this year wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It was a good year for us, but we had to learn a lot, you know what I'm saying? We kind of, you know, we had to catch up, you know what I'm saying? But if we was to stop right there, we would just mess up everything, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, it was hard because we had, we had to pretty much learn SJ all over again, you know what I'm saying? But because we are staying the course, we are now going to do some great things this year because of the fact that we continue to be consistent, you know what I'm saying? So you got to be consistent. You got to hey, keep on going. Don't stop. Don't don't stop just because things are not going right, you know what I'm saying? You got to stay consistent. Like, consistency brings the results. So how do you expect for something to change if you're not consistent, you know what I'm saying? And people can tell that. So... I just, I just encourage all student leaders just to stay consistent, stay the path, be, <laughs> come on, man, be proactive, continue. <laughs> it bothers me. Yeah. And people have these roles, but they ain't doing nothing. Like, you yeah. are really in a place of power, and you don't want to make a difference. Like, ugh. Mm-hmm. okay, but that's my, that's my advice. <laughs> um, I, I would say I have a few pieces of advice. Um, first thing, you know, like we was talking about earlier, lose the emotion but keep the passion you know when we're talking about going outside of protocol and when to and when not to you know sometimes you really do have to put your emotions to the side and just keep that same drive and passion that you have you have to keep that going for the next one in line like Davon was saying you just can't stop anything in the middle of what you're doing that's not that's not how you do work as a student leader um another thing i would say is not every no is bad and not every yes is good. You know what no stands for? What? New opportunity. Exactly. So, and I, I've, um, you know, going to NASAP, which is a student leadership conference for SGAs, um, for HBCU SGAs, um, it's different because you get to see people within your roles, like people the same color, people the same color in these different roles and how they manage it at their other schools. So it's really interesting. And a lot of like the inspiration that I use within myself is a lot of what I saw at NASAP or like these other student leadership conferences. And it's really um, been like life-changing advice for me too. Mm -hmm. Um, The last thing I would say is, um, this is my favorite quote. I have it everywhere. Um, once upon a time, you were a little girl with big dreams that you promised to make real one day. Don't disappoint yourself. So, you know, I kind of keep that in the back of my head because it's like, I know, I know life is not going to be easy, but at the same time, I had dreams and aspirations that I, that I said I was going to do when I was younger. So 
right now I'm just trying to get to that goal, trying to make my dreams reality. So that's powerful. That's powerful. I would honestly say to student leaders, it's gonna be lonely at the top. It is. It's going to be very lonely at the top. You're going to go through things. You're going to see things. And maybe it's just you. It's, sometimes you're going to be upset that you are up at 4 a.m. in the morning doing that report. While the rest of the world is asleep, while the rest of the world is at the parking lot party with a cup in their hand. It's going to be you up by yourself doing that work. And... That's when you have to embrace success. Because when the rest of the world is asleep, the working people, the ones who are getting that money, the ones who are getting that cheddar, they are the ones who are going to be up. So I definitely say it's going to be lonely at the top. Never stay complacent. Never. Because first of all, anything you get can be taken away from you. It can with a quickness. Life shows up. Trust and believe. But also... You just always want to show a state of growth. If you're not continuously growing, then what is your purpose? What is truly your pro- your purpose? You have to figure out what drives you yeah. and just figure out what are your interests. Like I know something that I'm battling is I may have to make a choice with me being doing SGA next year or Mr. Sophomore. And part of me... Part of me is like, I have established so much in royal courts so far. Mm-hmm. I have made some change. I have built a good foundation, especially for my position. But then also, I don't want to stay in a state of comfortability. So that's what makes me want to do SGA so I can learn something new, but still be able to showcase leadership. So it's like, do you leave from your roots and where you've placed a foundation or do you go out and explore other avenues? Because so, like, I really want to do both and I know that I'm qualified to do both. However, like, it's all going to play out however it's going to play out, honestly. Like, because... Everything happens for a reason. That's it. Everything happens for a reason. Like, even if I do campaign, it might be by the grace of God. They say, D2, you are now elected as our Mr. Freshman and our SGA. I'd be like, thank God. Mm-hmm. But then it also could be, what if I lose both? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with that side of reality, um, like we were saying earlier, just because you don't have a title doesn't mean you don't have to put the work in. Come on, that is good. Because I... Like I ran for um, a position my sophomore year, and I didn't get it. I ran. For, I wanted to be student trustee my sophomore year, I didn't get it. But I didn't let that stop me from still doing what I needed to do or doing what I wanted to do because I knew I still had a plan for myself. So you know, like we were saying, as long as you have that foundation, those aspirations, those goals for yourself, yeah, you might you might have a failure or two. But what is success without failure? What is success without failure? That. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That is so true. I um I do believe that these key things will lead you to success. Mm-hmm. And I mean all of us have a different definition of mm-hmm. success. Yep. My last guest Eli told me that 
his definition of success is when he can tell his mama to quit his quit her job. Okay. My definition of success is being able to live the American dream. Like people, people say there's something wrong with the American dream, but I'm quite honest with you, my American dream. I I want the little house. Right. I want the house and a nice car and a little, you know, two kid, three kid vision type of vibe. Like that's a chill vibe for me. So like that's my definition of success: being able to spend time with my family, being able to establish wealth for my family. That is my definition of success. What is the definition of success for you guys? My definition of success is um, is when I don't have to worry about you know I could say when I'm gonna worry about like no like bills being an issue you know what I'm saying like I'm still paying bills but I still got money you know what I'm saying <laughs> you know don't talk about like because being young you know being a do adult you pay bills you look at your account like day I don't got no more money yeah. like I just spent all the money on these bills yeah. I think I know when I'm when I made it in life when I can pay my bills and still be all right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could still say, Dave, you still got some thousands in your account. You all right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm straight even a million. You know? Hallelujah. A million in my account. You know what I'm saying? Glory to God. But, you know, like, that's when I made it. And also, I know I made it when, you know, I have, like, like you said earlier, like, that, 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 that family, that house, that car. Like, when I'm married, y'all, I just know I made it. When I married my people, how you doing, Zamir, if you listen to the podcast? When I marry her, just know. <laughs> Life for me is gonna be where it needs to be, okay? And when and I had those children, you got an eye. Glory to God, we're gonna be great, okay? That's how I know I live my life because that's my, I'm successful at that point. I'm successful. I, I have nothing to ask for. I got the money I need, the family I need, the car, the house. What I got, because, Jesus? I mean, you gotta you you have to know what 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 is yours, Joy? Um, Jesus Christ. You know, aside from the money side of success, we all want that. But um, for me, I think success kind of looks a little different. You know, for me, success is being able to realize that everything I prayed for is happening or everything that I wrote down, everything that I said that I wanted to do, I've accomplished. You know, looking back, I've written everything that I've wanted to do. I've written it down, wrote it somewhere, say it out loud all the time. So, you know, success for me is being able to say, oh, yeah, I did that. I may have not accomplished everything that I wanted to, but I did that, you know, along with the money, the house, the car, everything else. But success for me is really just saying, you know, I've been through those failures, but at the end of the day, there was no loss of enthusiasm whatsoever. I no still loss got of right. No loss of I drive. still got to where I need to be. So, yeah. but yeah. I just, I really, I always try to ask my guests that because. At the end of the day, J. Cole says there's no such thing as a life that's better than yours. Amen. And I'm a big J. Cole fan too. Yes, it's no such thing. No such thing, no such thing. It's really because I think with our generation. Jordan got emotional. She just shed a tear, y'all. I'm not finna play with Joy. You know, I feel like that's that's the plague that our generation is amongst with social media comparison and this is this is what um this this is for my um one of my um one of the brands um well one of the statements Mm -hmm. of the pieces my partner has comparison kills purpose Mm -hmm. 
And I know for me, sometimes I get frustrated because mm-hmm. I'm working hard. Like, I'm working so hard. I'm, mm-hmm. I look tired in the morning. And I, it's somebody who's chilling. Not doing nothing. Not doing anything. No purpose, no drive, no nothing. And they are where I want to be. Right. And sometimes you just can't, you can't, you can't compare yourself to other right. people. And I'm going to always preach that because until I get, I mean, that's something that I'm dealing with at this time now. Like a lot of time I look at my friends, my friends are class of 20. Yeah. I'm, I'm class of 20, but now they're jun- they're going into their junior year. I'm going into my sophomore year. So there's some things that I'm behind on that they may be ahead of, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, Long as I do what I need to do at the time that I need to do it, that is my time only. Mm-hmm. That was God's plan. That was Amen. already intended to be. Amen. So just always remember that when you're going through something or you feel like you're working hard and you feel like you're not seeing the fruits of your labor, just know it's going to come on God's timing. And sometimes it's not going to be with the people that you're surrounded by. And sometimes the people that you're surrounded by currently may not be able to even see it. <laughs> Only you will see it. So, you know, I just really invite you to consider that perspective that, you know, you can't you can't really compare yourself. But I really appreciate you guys for taking the time out to become on to come on to beyond the crown because it, it really is. This is a lifestyle. Oh, that's good. I'm sorry. I'm happy. That's it a is. lifestyle. That right. is good. This is not. A this, is not this is what I do every day. Mm-hmm. Like this is who I am. Like this is I don't just position. take this hat off. You know, I don't just wear this. No, this is who I am. Like I'm professional at all times. I am, um, you know, approachable at all times. I'm always humble. That's what I have to be. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a lifestyle. Like I don't just take this off. Like if you do that, what type of person are you? You 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 counterfeit. You're a fake. Like people want real. So we said earlier, authentic. You know what I'm saying? Like how can I connect with you if I'm not real with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's all I gotta say about that. Do y'all have any final statements? Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I Devon. I don't know. Uh, you know, like you said, God's timing. Amen. That's Leave it. it into like that's it. Everything with your positions, with anything, it's all on his timing. It's about trust. And everything Tr- happens for a reason. Let's trust and everything happens for a reason. So when you're going through something or you're going through a hard time, just know that if you're not gonna be thinking about this five years from now. Two years, one year. One year from now, just know that you're gonna get through it. And it's gonna be hard. Trust me, like, and I'm in my freshman year, so this is, <laughs> this is, this is something like I'm gonna have to deal with for the rest of these next three years, cause, I, and that's so crazy. Like, I'm talking about three years. In the beginning, I was talking about four years. So, it's like you just gotta be able to take the highs and the lows, but don't be discouraged. I always want to say to whoever is listening to this, if you're ever going through something, you can always reach out to my DM at be like D two B E L I K E D I T U, and I and we can talk. So I just want to say thank you guys. Please tune in to my next episode, which will be coming soon. And I want to thank you for tuning in to this one. Y'all be great. Take care. <laughs>